0: 40 here so i was so excited to get up and blog on sunday i was up i was wide awake by 1 a.m i was up at 2 a.m had my very rare cup of coffee and just started blogging for the next few hours so i was working on this particular blog post which is forming the foundation of today's show applying the garometer by australian psychologist matthew brown and irish anthropologist Chris Kavanaugh, the, the gorometer, trying to apply that to Dennis Prager. So, what type of person falls hard for a guru? And God forbid you know, there, there may be someone out there for whom I play a guru role. So, what type of people are looking for gurus? So let me tell you about my situation when I first heard Dennis Prager. It was August of 1988. I was 21. 21 and i was at ucla a month before the dormitories opened up because i'd been hobbled by chronic fatigue syndrome for the previous seven months and my family suggested doctors that i could see in in southern california and i didn't want to pay for a hotel so i was just living out of my car sleeping in the the bushes outside a girl's softball field and so i was feeling pretty desperate pretty lonely it's pretty much on my own for a month before school started and so my primary companion was my radio. And so I listened to a lot of talk radio. And then on Saturday and Sunday nights on KBC Radio, I started listening to Dennis Prager. And this this voice, this, this commanding manner, this charisma, this confidence that uh, spoke to me, it sounded like this was God speaking at, at Mount Sinai. And so I was in desperate need for a virtual friend. And I was in desperate need for a virtual father figure because I didn't have much of a relationship with my own father. So. I needed comfort, security, I, I needed something all right, and so I was in a state of pretty high anxiety, I was in a state of uh, depression my my life had just fallen apart due to my ill health, well, all my plans amounted to to nothing. I was looking for a way to try to make sense out of life. Then Dennis Prager came along and I embraced his approach, just like, oh yeah, God, Judaism, ethical monotheism right i want to I want to enroll in the fight. for for good values right and so it was absolutely intoxicating for me and it gave me meaning and purpose and transcendence i had something to live for and i felt like you know had someone dennis prager understood me and who was a good role model and i preferred my virtual father to my real father and I preferred my virtual friend Dennis Prager to you know many of the people that I was interacting with in real life. Particularly when I went home to Northern California, I was living in an isolated part of Northern California, and how desperately I tuned my radio to KABC once the the sun went down, so that I could try to you know pick up Dennis Prager's voice from Los Angeles all the way into Sacramento. It was like a lifeline for me. And so, whatever the criticisms that I have of Dennis Prager today, I mean, I may very well not be here. Right? Without the the kindness that he showed me, right, and without him enlisting me in the battle for good values and feeling like you know I was important, I had a had a role to play. I first met Dennis Prager in person on a Friday night, January twenty eighth, nineteen ninety four, in Tampa Bay, and then after he spoke Saturday morning, so that would have been January twenty ninth, nineteen ninety four. So I would have been I think twenty seven at this time he kind of motioned me over just he was driving away in his car and then he saw me and just like motioned me over over it we got to talk privately for about 10 minutes and he said he said luke uh, it gives me inner peace it gives me a source of comfort that if something happens to me that you'll be around to to fight uh, for good values i mean can you imagine what that that meant to me that I was a source of, you know, comfort and and peace to, to Dennis Prager because I was around to you know, fight for good values. Now, in retrospect, in 2023, I, I realized that Dennis Prager, you know, told this to dozens of people, probably hundreds of people. Yeah, w- one of his favorite lines he says to his YouTube co-host Julie Hartman when she says, "Oh, you know, your your book changed my life," and Dennis says, "Well, if it just." if it changed your life, then it would have been worth it. And I'm sure he's used that that very line to thousands of people. And for people who have high anxiety, like Julie, and like me, right, those kind of lines are a lifeline. They're intoxicating, they are soothing and calming. This is a virtual friend. This is a, well, in Julie's case, it's a real life friend. Uh, but for most people who listen to Dennis Prager, it's a parasocial relationship that you know, provides a sense of meaning, purpose, uh, transcendence, uh, and, and comfort in life. And so when I was basically bedridden from 1989 to 1994, right, I was spending my money, All right, I spent almost all the money I had, right? not seeking cures to my chronic fatigue syndrome, I spent almost all the money I had sending Dennis Prager tapes out to my friends who frequently didn't listen to them, who laughed at them, who said that I must be mad. And, and I realized now, yeah, that they were right. I, I was. I was mad. I was. I was getting much of my meaning and purpose in life from my imaginary or virtual friend Dennis Prager. And because I became convinced that like Dennis Prager was such a great man, that simultaneously buoyed up my own sense of self because I had some you know slim slender connection to Dennis Prager, and so I was connected to the great man. So the, the greater Dennis Prager was, the more important Dennis Prager was, the more prescient Dennis Prager was, right, the, the greater I was because I recognized his greatness and that I had, you know, a slender personal connection to, to Dennis Prager, you know, I was connected to the, to this source of, of greatness and life and love and it was, it was, uh, it was embarrassing <laughs> when I look back and see, you know, how eagerly I, you know, jumped into the Dennis Prager cult, but. I did it from a place like maybe you. Do you have above average levels of anxiety, above average levels of depression? Do you feel, you know, disconnected from people in your life? Are you unsatisfied with your real world alternatives? Then you'll find a virtual guru, a parasocial relationship with a YouTube personality or a talk show host, you know, it might fill you up. You might very well prefer it to flawed people that you know in real life, because when you getting it from a youtube host or a podcaster or a radio talk show host right you're getting a performance so dennis prager always says you know if you listen to me on the radio that's who i am that's me but it's not it's a performance what i'm doing now is a performance all right just because you hear me on youtube or on a podcast doesn't know you know me you're just getting one you know aspect of me this is a, a performance i have to use five to ten times the amount of energy Uh, talking here to my cam, (laughs) right, speaking across. We're live on YouTube. We are going out live on Twitter. We are live on my Facebook profile and my Facebook page. We are live on Odyssey, and we are live on Rumble, right, and, you know, monitoring the the sound quality and the the visual quality and all these different platforms, and the chat takes a tremendous amount of, of energy, and it is a performance, all right. This is not you know the real 40 it's just you know one aspect and so but when dennis prager says oh you know what you get to know on the radio that is the real me it's not true it's a performance but it's uh it's very intoxicating because you feel like you're developing this this parasocial you know relationship so it's interesting to watch the the effect that dennis has on his protege right? the new luke ford uh Julie Hartman.
1: But actively destructive of children. An article in the Atlantic, of uh, that just came out. We have to bury the hatchet, and no recriminations over mistakes made in the two years of COVID. In other words, what? Yes.
2: Mistakes. What mistakes?
1: Like locking kids down for two years. Oh my Don't God. start getting angry at teachers. Everybody makes well-intentioned mistakes.
2: This comes from the. It was evil God.
1: what they did. Evil, and and it was done all over the world, not just in this country. Teachers r- hurt kids. Without giving a damn about them, they're hypochondriacs and, and, they're, and they're woke. I'm so angry at what they did. I'm so angry about what medicine did, not allowing people to visit their dying relatives because, uh, because of COVID. In the name of health, the amount of evil that is done, I think the, in, in the modern period, contemporary, not modern,
3: mm-hmm.
1: more vile things have been done in the name of health than in any other name in free societies. And by the way, I said this years ago, my motto, health uber alles. You know what that means? So in Germany, the, the, the song in the Nazi
0: Right, this is something that gurus do all the time. I said this years ago. You know, I made this prediction 15 years ago, right? Because, you know, gurus and pundits, we, we make so many production, predictions, but we only remember the ones that we were right about, right? The, the, we, they, are not going to tell you about, you know, all the predictions that we got wrong. You know, they claim prescience, they issue Cassandra like warnings.
1: It was Deutschland über alles, Germany above all. So I've dropped Deutschland and just made health über oh. alles. Health above all.
0: One of the most startling
2: and disappointing things that I've seen in the past two years is the way that doctors, who I growing up thought were the most morally upstanding people around us,
0: alongside teachers. Alright, so notice how he commits epistemic sabotage. All right. He's he's trying to diminish all these other sources of information that that then elevates him. He's what's left when you diminish doctors, health agencies, academics, you know, experts. When you get rid of all these other sources of information, say, oh, they can't be trusted. You know, I'm the only one you can trust, right? This is how a cult leader works. Now, this is a very low-level form of cult. This is not the equivalent of that Christian evangelist in Kenya said, you know, come come, stay with me and starve yourself to, to meet Jesus, right? This is a, a much lower level, but it does have a cult-like quality. And And notice the destructive effect that it has on Julie. She doesn't trust any of our institutions, right? But she does trust Dennis Prager. Now, I, I say apply equal levels of skepticism to Dennis Prager and to doctors and to Yale and to Harvard.
2: Doctors too, but but especially doctors because they they I always thought they. Have an especially high moral obligation to not cause harm. That has been so deeply upsetting, and I have to tell you, for a time, I couldn't. I didn't really believe it. I didn't really believe that doctors were, were wreaking this much havoc. I thought, oh, maybe they just truly believe that the COVID vaccine is effective, or maybe they truly believe that lockdowns are warranted. No, it's it's been a real fall from grace for me. I have to tell you, I look around now in society, and I'm I'm just I wonder who, who my, can I trust.
1: My heart breaks for you.
0: Well, come on, who does she trust? All right, she trusts Dennis Prager, and is that really such a, a great choice? Dennis Prager is not the worst person around. He's not the best. He's you know another bozo on the bus. You know, he's got some strong points and some weak points, but he's having a destructive effect you now on her ability to assess what is right and wrong, true and false.
1: For a generation.
2: We, I have to tell you, I, I, I don't. I trusted
1: like, every institution when I was. I hearing. don't trust anything. Well, and you're right. You're right not to. Well,
2: what scares me? All
0: right, she says, I don't trust anything. You're right not to. All right, don't trust anybody or anything but me. Right, so Dennis Prager says he's always been faithful to to his wife, and I I absolutely believe him. But this is how you know men of a lower moral quality that the Dennis Prager operate. Yeah. I mean, when you you try to groom a woman or groom followers to your cult, you tell them, ah, you know, you, you just start banging down all the other sources of, of comfort and meaning and purpose and information in their life. Oh, you can't trust your parents you can't trust your family, you can't trust your boss, you can't trust doctors, you can't trust accountants, you can't trust lawyers, right? and it soon gets down to, you can only trust me, You know, now take off your clothes. This is not what Dennis Prager is doing. Dennis Prager is a very holy man. He would not engage this way, but this is a classic thing that, that men in particular do. Right? When, when you see a mark, all right, you try to separate that mark from you know, all her natural defenses and then say, I will protect you, now give me a blowjob. I mean, this is how men operate. So if you can isolate people, all right, then you render them defenseless and you can be much more predatory uh, sexually, financially, emotionally. Like, oh, you can't trust the rabbis. You can't trust the priests, the ministers. You can't trust psychologists. You can't trust therapists. They've all been corrupted by the left, all right? But uh, I will protect you.
2: So much, and I talked to you about this on the phone the other day is that people my age, like-
1: remember, remember what you were about to say. Okay. Let's declare a pandemic amnesty. Just uh, two days ago at atla- the Atlantic, we need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID.
0: Okay, so gurus and pundits don't want people to forgive each other. What would happen if people started forgiving each other? Right, they'd have much less need, enthusiasm, drive, passion to listen to pundits like Dennis Prager. Like If we walked around recognizing the humanity and other people, people on the right, on the left, in, in the center, people are apolitical, people are super political, super religious, totally secular, uh, gay, straight. If we just you know recognize the humanity of people, recognize most people are trying to do the best they can, and, and forgiveness is our natural state, right, when we let go of the wounds of the past. But if I'd been able to let go of the wounds of the past, do you think that I would have been vulnerable to falling into the Dennis Prager cult? No, I, I would never have fallen so hard for the the Dennis Prager cult, if I'd been able to forgive, but because I was not in a healthy place, because I had high anxiety and depression, and and you know struggling with uh, real world relationships, you know I developed this you know parasocial you know ideation and, and fixation with with Dennis Prager, and the, the, you know this virtual father figure was going to be my guide. So once you start forgiving people, once you start letting go of the wounds of the past. You're going to have much less need, much less of a fixation, that much less of you know, an intense drive to tune in to what some pundit or guru is going to say. Right? Your, your need for gurus and pundits goes way down when you implement into your life some sort of system or practice that allows you to let go of your old wounds, and then forgiveness comes naturally when you recognize that other people are as flawed and fallible as you are.
1: I wasn't in the dark about COVID. In April twenty twenty I, I headlined, tweeted, and wrote a column and broadcast. It's the greatest thing.
0: Right. This is what this is what pundits do all the time. Like I saw these things, you know, way before anyone else. Like I was ahead of the game. Right? I, I was not some loser. And they they don't tell you they they don't tell you all the things they got wrong. All right. They, they do not put this in context. This is just like classic you know, self-aggrandizement.
1: It's international mistake in human history. Mm-hmm. I said that it was vile while was being done to children. It was cruelty, sadism, not allowing people to be with dying relatives. I wasn't in the dark, and I'm not a doctor.
2: Well, how about what came out a few days ago about the Department of Homeland Security working alongside Silicon Valley to...
0: So Dennis is not in the dark, guys. You can trust Dennis. Like, everyone else is in the dark, but, but not Dennis. You can't trust anyone else but Dennis.
2: Shadow man and suppress quote unquote misinformation. Oh, oh,
1: oh that's well, that's, that's so. So, those people yeah. shouldn't be held accountable,
0: they should right. get amnesty. Uh, exactly. So, so, yeah. so, you were saying that, right? See, if you forgive and recognize that people are trying to do the best they can, right? That uh, the, the Twitter files are a little more complicated than you know, we've been sold that these you know, grievance stories, either on the right or the left, you know, are much more complicated than you know, the various sides portray them, then you don't really have need for a guru or a pundit to whip up your hatred of the other side. Right. You don't have that, that desperate need for, for hate porn when you recognize the, the fallibility of yourself and everyone else. Uh, you don't I you feel, feel, fair feel so bad. Yes,
2: because when you grew up, you trusted every institution. And I'm telling you that I don't trust any institution now, and it's been a real fall from grace, and it's been very sad for me. That being said, I am happy that I am at least aware of it. Even I shouldn't say happy. I am thankful that I am at least aware of it, because what scares me even more is that so many people, including my own best friends, totally trust these institutions and don't know how thoroughly corrupt they are. And that's worse because at least you know-
0: God forbid. God forbid. I can't believe this happened. I, I just committed a sin. Like I was like reaching up onto my tippy toes and kind of bending over to the side. God forbid. I was looking for a nip slip there. Like here she's talking about these lofty values and I'm talking about lofty values and why my god why why i oh lord right when when i have the best of intentions i i only want to communicate holiness and truth and, and god's will on this show and yet yeah, while i'm trying to do that i'm like reaching as high as i can on my tiptoes and bending to the side trying to look to see if there's a nip slip there my god I need to call my sponsor.
2: You know, I, I'm very careful about who I choose as my doctor, for instance. Well, it's, it's not worse for their,
1: them psychologically. True.
2: But it's worse for them in the long term. I would rather know than
0: not know. No, no
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it, it's like the old question. If you could be uh, given an injection to be happy all the time. And
0: okay. So, this is what I was getting up for at uh, 2 a.m. yesterday morning and uh, 4 a.m. this morning, decoding Dennis Prager. So, overall... I would place Dennis Prager kind of in the middle of the pack of gurus. So I think he's, he's less damaging, less toxic than, say, Eric Weinstein or and Brett Weinstein. He's more intelligent than Joe Rogan. Uh, he's more damaging, more toxic than, say, Oprah or Brene Brown. So what do we mean by guru? Reading here from the work of The Grometer by Chris Cavanaugh and Matt Brown. By guru, we refer to an influential teacher or popular expert subset of gurus who make liberal use of pseudo profound ball, referring to speech that is persuasive and creates the appearance of profundity with little regard for truth or relevant reference to relevant expertise. So that's what you get with Dennis Prager. You get a whole bunch of speech, and not just Dennis Prager, a whole bunch of pundits and gurus. You get a flood of speech that sounds profound and feels persuasive, but the speech is accompanied with little regard for truth or expertise so quality number one of the guru is galaxy brainness all right someone who presents ideas that appear to be too profound for an average mind to comprehend but are in truth reasonably trivial if not nonsensical. gurus present themselves as fonts of wisdom it's an all-encompassing kind of knowledge that tends to span multi-disciplines and topics their arguments often link together disparate concepts such as quantum mechanics logic and the na- nature of consciousness Guru will often present themselves as a polymath who can offer novel insights with reference to many different fields. They'll often allude to their own accomplishments and exaggerate them to a shameless degree. They'll confidently offer hot takes on technical topics and, with a wave of their hand, dismiss the perspectives of genuine experts. This is, of course, a confidence trick that relies on the recipient being convinced of their unique intellectual power. So what kind of recipient is going to be more receptive to these kind of confidence tricks? someone who has above average need for parasocial ideation or a parasocial relationship or for you know someone who'll come along and relieve them of their great anxiety and depression someone who finds navigating reality just a little too difficult and wants to retreat into an online world where they can get you know custom made their their own you know virtual friend or virtual mentor so i would rate prager a four out of five in this galaxy brainness so here are some examples so december 12 2022 dennis says i've been right on virtually every issue that i've differed with the majority on in my life so do you think he's right there you think he's right that he's been right on every issue where he's differed with the majority on in in his life i'm skeptical of that clay uh same show dennis says if the truth is allowed out there is no political left okay i think that's ludicrous right the Left-wing political orientation, the right-wing political orientation are evolutionary adaptations. In certain circumstances, a left-wing adaptation, say, which is more welcoming to strangers than a right-wing adaptation, may be more adaptive. A left-wing orientation that is less punishing may be more adaptive. A left-wing orientation that uh, is more willing to experiment with ways of organizing, say, families, communities, right? In some circumstances, that might be more adaptive, particularly in a low-threat low-danger environment. In other circumstances, situations, a right-wing approach of, say, hierarchy rather than uh, democracy may be more adaptive, or great suspicion and fear and negative feelings towards outsiders and strangers may be more adaptive. And in many circumstances, sticking to the old tried and true traditional ways of doing things is more adaptive than, you know, experimenting with new forms of family. So April 4, 2023, Dennis says, I know from years of experience with homeschooled kids that overwhelmingly they turn out happier, finer, kinder, and more intelligent, right? Homeschooling apparently raises people's IQ. Wow, who needs studies when Dennis Prager just knows these things, guys? He's just able to apply his his galaxy brain and you don't need those doggone pesky academic studies, right? You can just get it from, from Dennis, in 2010, he says, "I wanted the answers when I was a kid. I wasn't given them. What is the Jewish role in the world? In 14 years in yeshiva, I never learned the Jewish role in the world." See, so Dennis was thinking about the big issues. He was just, you know, way too smart, way too intelligent for his peers, like his teachers, his rabbis. Just they just couldn't give him the answers that this galaxy brain needed. April 5 this year, Dennis says, the great lack in young Americans' lives is religion. It is the direct cause, not only cause, of all the depression and lost sense of identity. So supposedly American youth have astronomical rates right now of uh, depression and loss of identity. Okay, so if that's true, I suspect that Japanese and European youth don't suffer from the same amount of depression and loss of identity that American youth are said to suffer from, despite Japanese and the Europeans being much 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 more secular than American youth, so I don't believe that the lack of religion is the direct cause of the depression and loss of identity in American youth. I't think it's the number one cause uh, march twenty seven this year, right Dennis Prager, who is not mystical, all right who can read Hebrew, I've never heard any other Jew who is not mystical and can read Hebrew, say the following: "I've come to entertain the possibility of a devil." It has been so diabolic what I've experienced the past three years. It is hard to explain on rational grounds, the madness that has taken over. Right, So to hear it in you know, an intellectual, smart, non-mystical Jew who can read Hebrew entertain the idea of a devil, that devil is causing most of our problems today, is about as un-Jewish as belief in the divinity of Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, just you don't know how bizarre sounding that is from someone who can read the Torah. Uh, April 14 this year, Dennis says, Climate change is the single best way for Joe Biden and the left to overthrow Western civilization and destroy the economies of the Western world. Uh, he's got the galaxy brains. He, he sees their nefarious plans. Uh, April 14 this year, When the government tells business what to do, that is one of the true signposts of incipient fascism. <laughs> All right, but Thousands of non-fascist governments have told businesses what to do. It's hardly a sign of fascism people with power frequently tell people with less power you know, what to do but it's the way the world works all right it's less a sign of fascism than a sign of being human the strong will always take what they want and the weak will endure what they must luke is too innocent to know that bottle bottle blondes are out there in the wild A waitress I know even dyes her eyebrows or to get the golden look and a glance from Luke Ford types. Prediction, cute blonde. Julie Hartman leaves Dennis and we stop getting Dennis clips played on the 40 show there. Okay. Uh, Dennis says December 19. The left has been working to destroy this country for centuries. They're they're not working to destroy this country. They are following their experience of reality and following their own genetically imprinted and their early childhood experiences to try to make uh, America better from their perspective, all right? Different people experience reality differently. Different people have, have different gifts. Different people have different forms of childhood imprinting. And so that's why people come to the perspectives that they do. December 6th, Dennis says, big lies inevitably lead to violence and can even destroy civilizations. Well, every civilization is absolutely filled with big lies. I'm skeptical of that claim. Uh, July 14, 2017, the news media in the West pose a far greater danger to Western civilization than Russia does. Really? I mean, Russia's got nuclear weapons, right? Uh, Russia can launch nuclear weapons at us. Compared to the New York Times, I would say that uh, Russia poses more of a danger. January 30th, Dennis says, I think meat is the healthiest food there is. I got that from Jordan Peterson. (laughs) He's getting his health food (laughs) advice from Jordan Peterson. So in general, I'm struck by the awe that the ignorant frequently display towards Dennis Prager and the lack of awe shown to him by those who actually known something. And I agree with what uh, Paul Gottfried said, January 28, 2020. I think uh, Dennis Prager is an intellectual vulgarian of a kind I've rarely encountered in this world. He said such ridiculous things about history, fascism, democracy, and so forth. It is hard for me to, to bestow any respect on his intellectual accomplishments. And Paul Gottfried wrote, December 17, 2017, right-wing celebrities play fast and loose with history. Forget Trump. Jonah Goldberg, Dennis Prager, Dinesh D'Souza, muddle facts, sell books all the time. Gottfried notes, one of the most ludicrous examples of the conservative movement's recent attempt at being sophisticated was an exchange of equally uninformed views by talk show host Dennis Prager and (laughs) Dinesh D'Souza on the subject of the fascist worldview. The question was whether one could prove that fascism was a leftist ideology by examining the thought of Mussolini's court philosopher, Giovanni Gentile. Uh, Gentile defined the fascist idea while serving as minister of education in fascist Italy. He was one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. It'd be hard to summarize Gentile's thought in a few pithy sentences, and not surprisingly, Canadian historian of philosophy H.S. Harris devotes a book of many hundreds of pages trying to explain his complex philosophical speculation. Hey, that's no big deal for such priests of the GOP church as Prager and D'Souza. They zoom to the heart of Gentiles' neo-Hegelian worldview in 30 seconds and state with absolute certainty that he was a leftist. You have to assume that Prager, D'Souza, and the rest of their crowd know this intuitively inasmuch as they give no indication of having read a word of Gentiles' thought, perhaps outside a few phrases they extracted from his doctrine of fascism. Their judgment also clashes with that of almost all scholars of Gentile's work from across the political spectrum who view him, as I do in my study of fascism, as the most distinguished intellectual of the revolutionary right. So, According to our two stars in what has been laughably named Prager University, Gentile proves that fascism bears a deep kinship to today's left. After all, Democrat progressives in full agreement with Gentile love and push for a centralized state, which manifests itself in stuff like recent state expansion into the private sector but among the questions that are left begging of these do the modern left and gentile agree on the purpose and functions of the state Would gentile and mussolini glorified roman manliness have rallied to the present left in support of feminism and gay marriage Did gentile back in the 1920s favor the kind of stuff the administrative state is pushing right now the answer to all these questions which of course wouldn't be acceptable at Prague university is an emphatic no so control of the national economy by the italian fascist state down until its German puppet version was established in 1943. It was about the equivalent of that of the New Deal America. Right, 2014, Dennis says, One of the deepest disappointments in my life has been Jews' opposition to wars against evil. Why should Jews not support fighting on behalf of the victims of the greatest evils? Gosh darn, these these Jews! Ah, I mean, where do you where do you begin with that? Uh, strangely, the Jewish tradition is silent on how active uh, Jews need to be in lobbying their Gentile government to you know go fight a-, a war overseas against evil. Right? The ongoing rabbinic tradition doesn't say a whole lot about that. So, uh, two days ago, May twenty seven, Leponius brought this to my attention. Dennis Prager says, "If America abandons Israel, that is the end of America as we know it." Then uh, Dennis says, last July 26th, the average 12-year-old student at a yeshiva has more wisdom than almost any student at Harvard University. So the great thing about making claims about wisdom is they cannot be falsified. There's no objective test for wisdom and who has the most wisdom. But you hear these Prager statements and it's easy to feel that you're getting some profound insight into life. I remember there was this one man who worked with Dennis Prager at KBC Radio for many, many years, and he found himself going home every day thinking about what Dennis Prager had said on his show. Then he began noticing that Dennis didn't really understand or hadn't read thoroughly many of the articles that Dennis was reading from on the show, that Dennis didn't really dig too deeply into the many events that he was commenting on with his show. He noticed that Dennis just kind of used the news, used events to get on a soapbox with all his favorite Pragerisms, however disconnected they might be from reality. It was the same critique that the brandeis Bardeen institute uh, board had of dennis prager when he was its director between about 1977 and 1983 like prager had a stock you know three speeches that he gave over and over and over and over again and so too with his radio show he has you know a stock series of little, little speeches that he gives over and over again so this man who worked with dennis at kbc realized it was just all a con so in a few months the man went from years of fascination with dennis's thinking to disgust with dennis and that disgust reaction it just never let him left him and He never picked up a, another guru so that's the end of the first uh test of the gurometer i gave dennis galaxy brainness a four out of five right test number two cultishness. being a guru is a social role a guru it's only a guru if there are people who regard them as gurus so how gurus interact with their followers and their critics their in group and out group is often quite revealing Gurus are not usually bona fide cult leaders. However, social groups they cultivate often with themselves positioned as intellectual leaders can have some elements reminiscent of cults. So a key characteristic of cults is the establishment of clear in-group and out-group identities primarily between the cult members, cult admirers, and outsiders. However, there will also be internal discrimination made within the cult, such as between an inner circle of favored members, the broader normal members, and problematic or troublesome members. So I went from maybe inner circle of favorite Dennis Prager member to the broader normal members and then a problematic or troublesome member who needed to be exorcised and excluded. So cult behavior is characterized by emotional manipulation and control. Gurus manipulate their followers and potential allies. They engage in excessive flattery make intimations that their followers are more perceptive, more morally worthy, and more interested in the pursuit of truth than outsiders. That's you, guys. That's you. Show me how to love you because you guys are just so perceptive, so morally worthy, and just so much more interested in pursuit than those people who watch those other streams. So a guru will put effort into signaling a close and personal relationship with their followers. Guys, if you, you watch me on this show, you really know me. This is who I am. We're so close. We're so bonded. Just show me how to love you. All right, so gurus encourage the development of parasocial ideation. So praise and regard for the guru is usually reciprocated. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Laponius, for all those compliments. Well, but I mean, you're a very wise and perceptive man. You're a very great thinker on your own. It's such an honor to have you here. Disagreement or criticism is usually dismissed as coming from an unworthy person does not truly understand the significance of the guru's ideas. Now, the guru will wish to avoid the appearance of being a controlling leader. It's inconsistent with the flattery of their followers and the idea of cultivating a community of like-minded and clear-sighted individuals. That's us here, man. We're a bunch of clear-sighted blokes. However, they do not want their privileged position challenged, right? Because like you, you get in the way of their predation. Right? They will not be very happy. They may often wistfully talk of a desire to engage with good faith critics who truly understand their ideas. Yeah, man, I just wish I had some good faith, you know, intellectually honest is the phrase that's used. I just wish I had some you know, intellectually honest critics that I could engage with, but instead the people who criticize me, they're just on such a, a low level, right? I mean, I would benefit from criticism from people who are intellectually honest. I wish I had more intellectually honest criticism It's so lonely up here in the stratosphere i just wish i had more good faith intellectually honest criticism oh yes so we guru's lament we've just been unable to receive the kind of robust intellectually honest criticism that we absolutely yearn for that i'm dying for just show me show me how much good faith criticism you have of course this is a sham anything other than fawning praise Will typically be designated as being low quality or badly motivated show me how to love you then you often get the emperor's new clothes maneuver I know many of you won't be able to understand this but I think the more perceptive of you might I don't think many of you are in a place where you're ready to accept this kind of idea but here goes now few followers will want to admit that they lack the necessary qualities to appreciate that brilliance of the Guru's insight and those that do reveal themselves to be potentially among the set of troublemakers that need to be exercised so when we're giving a score here unhealthy social dynamics of in-group versus out-group so unnecessary in-group versus out-group dynamics. sometimes in-group versus out-group is essential lots of flattery controlling your followers are special super charitable to friends and to allies in group people like us you know the heterodox non-ideological committed to reason right and uh you know the great personal rapport that we. You know gurus have with their followers. So what am I talking about? This is what I'm talking about buddy uh,
1: When I never met in person I never met uh, Jordan Peterson in person, but I said to him when we met right before lunch Something that is said to me by so many people who meet me for the first time. I feel like I know you and I that is the highest compliment in, in effect I now understand what a compliment it is when I receive it because I never gave it to somebody before you and I, I have watched you for hours and listened to you and read your book. And in fact, I didn't just read your book, I heard your book from you. So I want to tell you something without embarrassing you, but I think I, I, I like to, you open your heart and your mind and so do I. When I was very young, I realized that uh, God or nature had given me uh, what I have called a goodness detector. And
0: Gurus appreciate people with open hearts, open minds, open legs.
1: I knew, I always knew, when
0: I... I mean, there are many ways to t- teach Torah, right? You can teach Torah over Facebook. You can teach Torah in person. You can teach Torah over Zoom. You can teach Torah through the tip of your penis. I mean, the, the various ways that you can you can teach Torah, be a guru, right? They're, they're infinite. Open hearts, open minds, open legs.
1: When I was in the presence of a good person, because that's all I really care about. I think brains are wildly overrated. Wildly. Uh, that's why I think you, you're not bright if you join Mensa. Uh, why you would want to announce to the world your IQ is so bizarre to me that I, 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 I'm
0: sure there are nice people there. but I, uh, Maybe people like to you know, hang out with people with whom they have something in common. Like if you're eligible for Mensa, uh, 98, 99% of the population is going to be rather boring to you. So people are desperate to connect with people. I think it's probably you know, a legitimate, useful way to connect with people.
1: I, I don't understand it, but I always picked up that and i've and I've always been right i it's a, it's a, I'm batting a thousand essentially and when I heard you read your book
0: the he's always right guys he is always right he is just such a finely tuned instrument for detecting good people. He's always right he has prescience right this is what you hear from fromguru alth like I just played a few clips and it's like i've now i am always right about this. Whenever I've differed from the majority, I've always been right. I said many years ago. You now my predictions came true, all right? So this is this is great. Like Jordan Peterson and it's Like these are two gurus, all right? Like gurus who recognize another guru, anglers who recognize another angler, like con artists who respect each other's game.
1: Passion comes from, I just want to help people lead a better life. And it's-
0: That's me. I just want to help you guys lead a better life. That, that's all I want to do. Like smash that like button, you know, send down those super chats, but I just want to help people lead a better life. That's all. It's really quite overwhelming. It's really quite overwhelming guys.
1: It's really, it's, it, it's quite overwhelming. You, you didn't just read that book. You, you, I won't say you sang it, but I like that you use music. I'm very much into music too.
0: It's just so beautiful what you did with that book. I was just so moved. I can just tell. I know that you're a good person. You're a good person like me and those of us who think the way we do, right? Our in-group, we're just, you know, we're good people. We're clear-thinking people. And we yearn. We yearn. We, we're desperate. We're, we're, we're so horny. We're so horny for high-quality criticism, right? We, we're so horny for intellectually honest criticism. Me so horny for robust criticism. If only if only we could encounter some high quality, intellectually honest. Me so horny for that robust, high quality criticism. Unfortunately, all the critics, they're just at such a low level, but me so horny for.
1: So this is the man that I'm honored to have this dialogue with, because everybody knows you're bright, but I know you're good. So mm. I wanted to state that at the outset.
4: I have have something to say about that.
1: Good. He's always
4: just about to cry. See, I don't think it's true. I mean, this is why. I got motivated to do what I've been doing, and I've been doing what I've been doing for, I would say, since about 1979, in one form or another, because things take a long time to generate. And one of the things I learned in the early 80s was that people have a great capacity for evil. And I didn't really understand that of myself until the early 80s, something like that, after meditating on it for a long time. And so I would say, it's not that I'm... I would never claim to be good. I think it's dangerous. But I did become terrified of how terrible I could be. And I mean, I became terrified about how terrible human beings could be, and, and that's one thing, but thats easy, it's easy to confuse that with other human beings. You know, it's a different thing to understand that it's true of yourself.
0: So if I call uh, Jordan Peterson and Dennis Prager con artists, I'm just saying that's a portion of what they're doing. I'm sure without even realizing, you know, a portion of what I'm doing is con artistry too, right? You know, we're all, you know, fooling ourselves, fooling other people. Uh, Dennis says some good things, some smart things, some funny things. I'm I'm sure Jordan Peterson says some good, smart, wise things too. These are not, you know, deliberate con artists in, in the conventional sense of the term there is a con that's, that's operating here, and you will, in all likelihood, have less clarity, right? You will, in all likelihood, be damaged the more content you take in by Dennis Prager. Um, I just don't know enough about Jordan Peterson. I often recommend to
4: my students that they read history as a perpetrator and not as a victim or a hero, and people very seldom do that, and it's no wonder. But I would say, perhaps, that I became terrified enough from learning what I learned, that I tried to. Avoid the pathways that lead people to the dark places that they go, and there's something in that that might approximate good.
1: Yeah, it does approximate good. I, I, I would agree with that.
0: So Dennis Prager, from first grade through twelfth grade, he was always elected president of his class because he has charisma. He's got you know, a sense of presence. And remember, he told you know he told me in uh, January twenty twenty nine nineteen ninety four you know it. it you know, it brings me a sense of peace that uh, you know that if something happens to me, that you'll be there to carry on the fight for good values. Right? Can you imagine me as a you know disturbed, lonely, troubled, anxious, you know, depressed, frightened, you know, young man uh, starting to get some recovery from years of, of being bedridden? You know, you can imagine how intoxicating that was. You <laughs> now, now I you know I realize that Dennis says this to you know dozens, if not hundreds, if not, if not You know, thousands of people, but you know he's very, he's very good at at tuning in to, you know, the 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 troubled, needy, anxious types and providing it with reassurance. It's like when I go to a party, right? I can just ding, ding, ding. You know, I'll find the women who have fathers who are sex addicts, right? Just ding, 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 ding. I will find find my way to them, right? Here's another great intellectual (laughs) from Fox News and Talk Radio, uh, Mark Levin. Posing tough questions here to to Donald Trump.
3: I've talked to a lot of important people. Supreme Court justices, presidents, presidential candidates, brilliant people. And talking with you is really the most impressive conversation I've had. Number one, there's very few people who could sit there and speak the way you do from subject to subject to subject to subject if people would let you speak and actually listen to you while you have the enormous pressure on your shoulders of these grand juries and other things going on and you still are able to do it that is absolutely remarkable if you go through the history of your how presidency do you do and i read these letters in this book
0: how do you do it show me how it to was a you. phenomenal
3: presidency wow Phenomenal presidency. How do you do it? And the reason you don't get the credit that you deserve is because perhaps that's going to be up to history when people look back and say, wait a minute. He was right about this, and this, and this, and so forth.
0: History. You're going to have to wait for history. I mean, this is just like Dennis Prager. I, I told him in something like 1995, I, I was frustrated that his teachings were more influential in, in Jewish life. And he said, you know, my teachings won't be recognized for another millennia, right? History, history will will vindicate Dennis Prager. So I, I was still a little bit under the sway, just a little bit, just a smidgen under the sway of Dennis Prager. Like in, in 2010, I was walking around Loma Linda University. It's a Seventh-day Adventist university in I think San Bernardino County with, with a friend. And he asked me, what did I think of Dennis Prager? And I said, Oh, I wish Dennis Prager ran for president. I wish Dennis Prager ran America. I wish Dennis Prager ran the universe. That's what I said. Can you... uh, My God. I said, I wish Dennis Prager ran the universe. And my friend said, the the universe? All right? Yeah, I was licked to his ball. Like, why? Because... You know, during some very dark years in my twenties, Dennis was kind to me and I formed, you know, a parasocial relationship to Dennis Prager and he enlisted me in the fight for, for good values and I preferred him as my virtual father to my real father. So I basically, you know, tuned out my real father. I, you know, fixated on Dennis Prager, my virtual father. I spent all my money sending Dennis Prager tapes to my friends who thought I was mad. <laughs> thought I was sad, mad and bad and dangerous to know okay so let's get back to the garometer so this is what kind of courtish tendencies does dennis have i gave him a three out of five so i'd like to think that i'm a kind genial moderate marker here of dennis brager so that was an example there of dennis telling you know jordan peterson everyone knows you're bright but i know that you're good right our in group, right? It's just overflowing with, with goodness. I mean, w- where did this conversation take place, right, Jordan Peterson? The parallel it took place at the 2019 Prague U Summit. Did you make it to the 2019 Prague U Summit? Just imagine how many natural cures for COVID you could sell at a Prague U Summit. Just imagine how many sales of supplements you could sell at a Pregate you summit and by the way i'm i'm speaking to you from the the relief factor pain-free studio no not i need dennis gets to speak to people from the relief factor pain-free studio but i mean that must be sweet getting to hang out and broadcast in the the relief factor pain-free studio man you could probably sell a lot of relief factor these Prague you summits
1: between us are so eerie to me uh, that eerie. in my book on happiness, which came out in 99, I actually have a chapter on the necessity of having a tragic view of life. <laughs> and then I hear you speak of like just now, this tragic view of life. And ironically, if you don't have that, you can't be happy. Hmm. So it's just another example so of, profound. of, of this and that you're getting this message out. If you want to comment on that, please. If not, I'll, I'll go on. I, I, you, you are such an. I watch you, and you're such an intense listener. I don't know when you're going wow. to react. So,
5: <laughs>
4: if you, well, there's this old idea. You, know, you all know this idea. Um, it's an idea that's expressed, for example, in the classic Disney movie, classic Disney movie, which I really like, called Pinocchio. And you know, when Pinocchio is attempting to free himself from the forces that manipulate him as a puppet and to become an autonomous being, mm. he is required to go to the darkest place mm. to find the worst the worst monster, and face that voluntarily. And in doing so, he rescues his father. Mm. And that's a very wow. old idea. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know how old it is. It, it's 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 one of the oldest ideas we have in written form, and, and there's no doubt that in its pre-written form, it would be tens of thousands of years older than that. And it's a very strange idea.
0: Okay, let's go back to this Rank Prager, a three out of five on courtishness. So May 7, uh, 2021. Dennis tells Jordan Peterson, I can't find a thing you have ever said that isn't ennobling. I love your work. I can't find anything you've ever said that isn't uh, ennobling. I okay, mean, that's, that's uh, pretty sweet.
4: And two issues of free speech and perhaps beyond that as well. So welcome, guys. Thanks very much for, for talking with me today. Dennis, maybe you want to start. Do you oh. want to talk a little check, bit about this what out. I
1: said? And then they had no quotes. But anyway,
4: uh, I've had the same
1: experience, Dennis. You know, I have I hundreds of hours of, of. course, yeah. you have. I know that. I can't find a thing you've ever said that isn't ennobling. I I love your work. I wrote the pre- I wrote the introduction to your biography.
0: <laughs> and and uh, Laponeus, bro. I can never find a single thing that you have ever said that isn't ennobling. I mean, you just uplift the, the human spirit. I mean, so many people are cruel, sarcastic, you know, cutting. They make you know personal attacks. They're they're you know vulgar. They're uncharitable. They're unChristian. But Laponius, in all your comments, man, I can't think of a single thing you've said that isn't ennobling bro you know i love your work bro show me how to love you that's all i want to say show me how to love you uh so remember when oh this is good remember when dennis told uh, julie hartman i i don't have an age oh man oh good i don't have an age birthday yeah don't have and, oh, <laughs> unlike regular people, Dennis doesn't have an really? age. Really? Yeah.
2: That's not a response I would I expect know, from I you. I know,
1: and I'll tell you why. Because in the public's view, I don't have an age. So I don't talk about it much because...
0: Yeah, the public view, unlike mere mortals, right? In the public's view, Dennis Prager doesn't have an age. He's just timeless. He, he transcends time and space history, the, the normal constraints that uh, limit regular people. I don't. I,
1: it, it's not relevant to any part of my life. I mean, it's relevant in my brain. I know.
0: Age is nothing but a number, says Dennis Prager and R. Kelly.
1: How old I am. But I, I feel the same as I did when I was your age. And I act the same as I did in terms of energy in your age. But uh, I don't like to emphasize it, because I prefer that people just think of me as Dennis.
0: Yeah, guys, don't don't think of him as seventy-five years of age. All right, please, don't think of Dennis as seventy-five. Just think of him as Dennis. Think of him having a soul that is ageless. Think of Dennis as as timeless. Think of Dennis. As outside of history, you think of Dennis stepping outside the normal constraints that limit people, right? He, he transcends us. Does that I make think, any sense?
1: Well,
2: no, I tell you that all the time. I think, I, I mean, you appeared to me, your soul is sort of ageless. And I think that of other, you know, you truly unique people, honestly. Um, on a, the, you know the other person who I thought of, weirdly, Donald Trump.
0: That's correct. He seems no, ageless. No,
1: nobody talks
0: about his age.
2: Yeah, he, he right. really
0: Ageless. Beautiful. Oh, come on. Leponius, let's please, let's 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 go back to that ennobling. All right. I mean, Dennis, uh Laponius, that, that was that comment about being fat and not be that that was not ennobling. I right? let let's bring back the the ennobling laponius i'm i'm really disappointed in you bro okay dennis prager october 31 20 uh, right we uh, we're obliged to fight like they uh like like they did on Normandy beach oh i can't find that's not a transcript but it says we're obli- obligated to fight like they did on Normandy beach so who are we supposed to be fighting uh, the Democrats and the elites, guys, were obligated to fight like they did on Normandy Beach. Uh, didn't Jim Jones say things like that? And uh, Charles Manson? So, the guru will often put effort into signaling a close and personal relationship with their followers, essentially encouraging the development of parasocial ideation. And uh, Dennis said, r- just I played earlier, you know, people are always saying to him, I feel like I know you. And Dennis says, You do, you do. Right, so this idea that uh, gurus and pundits and talk show hosts say that that their private private self is identical to their public self, this is a delusion. So encouraging parasocial ideation, right? When you encourage that, you're encouraging a delusion, right? Sometimes it's a delusion that's comforting. Sometimes it's a delusion that is destructive, right? There there are plenty of cons that you can buy into that you know will still benefit your life. So what the hell is parasocial? Interaction, all right, say psychological relationship experienced by an audience in their encounters with performers in mass media. So viewers may come to consider media personalities as friends despite having no real life interaction with them. It's an illusory experience, right? Media audiences interact with personae, right? This isn't the real person, this is Luke Ford's performance, right? And they experience these mediated interactions as if they are engaged in a reciprocal relationship with them. But what you and I have going on here, this is reciprocal. This is real. But those other people, they just get the 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 faux parasocial relationship. Parasocial interaction is an exposure that garners interest in a persona and it becomes parasocial after repeated exposure to the immediate persona, causing the immediate user to develop illusions of intimacy, friendship and identification. I mean that's what happened to me listening to Dennis Prager. And I developed, you know, this sense that, you know, Dennis Prager was my virtual father, he was my virtual friend, my virtual mentor. And then you learn positive information about the media persona that results in increased attraction, and the relationship progresses. So I talk to people who you know, knew Dennis Prager in person. Uh, parasocial relationships are enhanced due to trust and self-disclosure provided by the media persona. So I share with you my pains and my, my vulnerabilities. Then you feel closer to me, then you're you're more loyal. You feel more connected, right? As though we're close friends, right? You you observe and you interpret my appearance, right? Laponius is the most perspicacious member of the show, checking out my appearance. Uh, you, You interpret my gestures, my voice, my conversation, my conduct, right? And so media personas can have a significant amount of influence over media users. inform the way they see the world and what they buy so you've got parasocial interaction psi and parasocial relationships so parasocial interaction means the one-sided media person perception during media exposure parasocial relationships stands for what a viewer has going on with a media person so parasocial relationships typically fill the needs of typical social interaction but they potentially reward insecurity, right? If you've got a dismissive avoidant attachment style to others, you may find the one-sided interaction with, you know, a virtual persona to be preferable to dealing with people in real life. And so I think that probably spoke to me, right? Those who experience anxiety from typical real life interactions, may well find comfort in the lives of celebrities being constantly present for them. What is stopping Luke from recording at the beach? Oh, I've done, you know, a fair bit of it. I haven't spent much time at the beach. I was, was going to go yesterday, but I got wrapped up in my blogging. Right, YouTube creators earn money off their fans through memberships, Patreons, Super chats. So fans then feel entitled to specific details about the lives of creators or even specific content. So the divide between a YouTube creator's life and their work is a very fine line. Uh, 40% of millennial YouTube subscribers claim that their favorite YouTube creators understand them better than their friends do. And so I felt like Dennis Prager understood me better than many members of my family and many of my friends. So parasocial relationships are a psychological attachment in which the media persona offers a continuing relationship with the media user. The user may continue and grow to depend on them, plan to interact with them, count on them much like a close friend. They develop a history with them. They believe they know the person better than others do. And so you you seemingly get all the benefits of a real relationship with no responsibility or effort. You can control the experience or walk away from parasocial relationships freely. So I, you know, we used to have people in this chat who are no longer here, right? You can come, you can go. So You can bond with a YouTube creator or a pundit, and this might lead to higher self-confidence, a stronger perception of problem-focused coping strategies, a stronger sense of belonging. But uh, parasocial relationships can also reduce self-esteem, increase media consumption and media addiction. Uh, Parasocial relationships with media personae increase when the person is lonely, dissatisfied, emotionally unstable, and has unattractive relationship alternatives. And so that's what was going on for me when I fell into the Prager Court. So many people use parasocial relationships as a substitute for real-world contact. So key characteristics of courts is the establishment of a clear in-group and out-group identity, right, between cult members and admirers and outsiders. So December 5, 2022, Dennis says, My wife and I so love epic times, we not only spend our own money, we send the money. These are important and good guys, epic times. So Dennis tends to talk in terms of good guys and bad guys, right? The good guys are the in-group, the bad guys are the out-group. And a more sophisticated approach would be noticed that good and the bad things that the same people and the same institutions do regularly. So in general, the world is not divided into good guys and bad guys as much as it is divided into different situations, discrete separate situations confronting different people with different gifts. So Dennis ran the brandeis Bardeen Institute, a Jewish institute in Simi Valley, from 1977 to 1983, and he came along when Shlomo Bardeen, the founder, was most vulnerable, right? He, Shlomo Bardeen saw the end coming, needed to pitch someone. he pitched Dennis Prager as his successor, and then Shlomo Bardeen dropped dead. So under Dennis's directorship, Brandeis was a swinging door. They'd pick up 200 members one year, lose 150 the next. And uh, the Brandeis-Bardeen board complained that Dennis Prager lacked intellectual depth. They argued he was basically a three-speech man, and they said that membership grew tired of hearing the same speeches time after time and they also tired of what they said were regular bouts of vindictive paranoid behavior by dennis prager so some people were bothered that dennis was this strong dominant figure at the institute and uh, dennis had to be a one-man show so strife and dissension within the board over Dennis Prager's leadership resulted in constant conflict. So seven years of Prager's tenure in Simi Valley were filled with conflict between himself and the Brandeis board, whom he accuses of treating him miserably. He was victimized. At Brandeis, Prager says, I learned many Jews are uncomfortable with paying another Jew to do something Jewish. Was the problem that he tried to make BBI into... Know, a different type of institution. Dennis developed followers, right? Like a cult leader, but he turned off many people by leaving no room for intelligent disagreement. He bullied and antagonized a lot of people. And so he, you know, ejected all sorts of people for seemingly petty reasons. Like he, he caught uh, one one young young Jewish man listening to non-Jewish music on his Sony Walkman and ejected him from the institute. So another thing that uh, cults do is intentionally keep people in the dark it's kind of a courty move that prager makes most every day on his radio show so he also does it in his book nine questions people ask about judaism trying to keep people in the dark about various jewish traditions of heaven and hell now so it's interesting to watch dennis prager's effect on you know julie hartman his twenty three year old protege I just played the video where she says I grew up thinking doctors along with teachers were the most morally upstanding people. Maybe doctors truly believe that lockdowns are effective. Now I look around in our society and think, who can I trust? Right? Dennis Prager's epidemic sabotage, his epistemic corruption has, you know, accomplished its mission with Julie. She doesn't trust anyone except basically Dennis and people that Dennis gives a kosher certification to. Julie B. Mines, they laugh at me like I was on QAnon. My my friends have this, this crazy notion that I've been radicalized.
2: You seem ageless. I'm trying to think of others. I mean, there are people that, that, that we know who I, yes. who I could mention.
0: Okay, what else
1: we got here? Not aware of what is happening. Would right. you take it? You wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take it. Uh, I don't know if your friends would, but that's the world they live in. the well, she been would, radicalized. I mean, you're right. I wouldn't take it, but cold. the
2: problem is they may be happy in the short term, but then long term when they take, uh, a, you know, right. many doses uh, of the COVID vaccine and God forbid something happens to their health, they're not going to be happy. So the th- the thing that continues. Uh,
0: how long did I know Dennis Prager in person? I met him. I started listening to his show and calling his show in the fall of 1988. I first met him in person in January of 1994. I went to the same synagogue as him until basically 1998. So I knew him in person for about four years. And I've seen him periodically over the years. He, he's a very uh, friendly, amiable, uh, very easy person to talk to. So if if he saw me on the street, right, in all likelihood, he'd say, hey, look, and like, you know, wave me over. Right? That That's my experience with him over the past few decades. What used to
2: just amaze me is how little people know about what's really going on in this country. For instance, I keep mentioning I was having a debate with this person about the Electoral College, same person I was having a debate with about Trump versus Biden. And I said to him, this is a 65-year-old corporate lawyer. He, I could tell that he was, in some ways, quite well-read, smart guy. And I said, because he was talking about uh, integrity, and I said, well,
1: do you think... <laughs> I was laughed at. Who says that, Dennis? You know what? It just happened. I had one Williams on, a major liberal commentator. He's on Fox and he writes for The Hill. To his great credit, he came on the show. And I said to him... I'm just curious. What do you think about having six-year-olds in so many schools go to? Uh...
2: You know, you'll find this to be interesting. I have a suspicion that some, not, not my close friends, but some of my more peripheral friends have this false notion that I've been radicalized.
0: That's crazy. Why would people think that Julie Hartman's been radicalized? I mean, she doesn't trust any institution. She doesn't trust anybody except uh, you know those that Dennis gives a kosher certification to. Why would they think that she's in some kind of cult? Why would they think she's being radicalized? Why would they see any parallel between, you know, PragerU and QAnon? This is crazy talk. Crazy, I tell you. This is nuts. Because
2: they truly believe that the things that I just mentioned to you, which are 100% true, and by the way, shouldn't even be called deemed right-wing beliefs because they're just facts, they think that those things are conspiracy theories. They, look at me, they think that I have gone on to QAnon. Again, whatever the hell QAnon is, I still don't know.
0: Why would people think that she's been radicalized, right? She doesn't trust any institutions, right? She doesn't trust anyone. Why would they think she's in a cult? Do a lot of conservative research,
2: never met anyone who's been on QAnon, never heard of it when, before the left made a huge deal of it. They think that I go on these like crazy rabbit hole, radical right wing sites and come up with these conspiracy theories that are totally fact and mainstream. I mean, do you, I know it seems obvious to say, but it, it just, I can't believe that this is our world. There are real, really bad things going on and they think it's just made up.
1: That's why I told you these two stories. Crazy,
0: things. gosh, crazy! Yeah, so why would I, people again, think I get that? the sense that a lot of them so, want to distance themselves from me because uh, they think I'm nuts. I
2: think
1: we'll end with this.
0: Why would people? Why would people want to distance themselves from me when all I could talk about was Dennis Prager for years? Why would people want to, you know, laugh at me when I was just mailing out, you know, Dennis Prager tapes to everyone I do? Why do they think I was crazy that I would ended some kind of cult?
1: This, I got a question from a young person on my fireside chat. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, I do Fireside Chat. Okay, this is
0: like galaxy brain stuff here, guys. This is a revolutionary theory. And it sounds incredibly profound. It does. It's very convincing, very persuasive.
1: Week for you, there are a lot of viewers around the world, mostly young people. And it's a half hour every week. We've done 262 of them. So that's a lot. You can really binge. Anyway, I got a question from some young person somewhere. How do I know what to trust? How do I know what's true? It's a very, very real question. So I like being under pressure. Because i do my best under pressure others are different but i do i do too uh, really
0: mm-hmm. unlike mere mortals right dennis Prager does his best under pressure
2: That's interesting. because of all my swimming
1: oh that's right makes sense mm-hmm. well i didn't swim <laughs> i mean i can swim but I, not competitively
0: so in another video dennis uh, julie tells dennis i am turning into you like you know she's she's adopting all of you know a lot of his habits and hobbies she's you know now drinking coffee like dennis Prager drinks coffee
1: anyway I came up with an interesting answer. I came up with a few answers. What do you think of this answer? I said those who wish to censor others are usually
0: lying. And that sounds incredibly profound. I mean that sounds right. That's very persuasive. Bell <laughs> says, My mom says, I hate Luke. He talks about himself too much. I said, It's the Luke Ford show. It's mostly learning about Luke's world, books, articles, videos. Omnises um, <laughs> Oh man!
1: <laughs> and I've never come up—I've never come up with that answer because it's a very good question. How do you know who's telling the truth on on any given? Is it the left or the right? Well, if you are telling the truth, you are okay with those who differ with you speaking their minds. And In fact, you
0: want them to. That's right because it exposes. Them. Yeah, like why would anyone care, right? If you know ISIS, you know has its own channel on YouTube, right? Because you're okay with other people speaking their minds. Why would anyone care if Al Qaeda? Had their own channel on youtube why would anyone care if people were promoting on social media like drinking bleach or you know doing all sorts of you know dangerous or unhealthy things like where would anyone care you only care guys if you're lying right right there's something nefarious about you if you're one of those damn democratic satanic uh, pedophiles so man apparently i've got a parasocial relationship with art bell but his mother won't get into a parasocial relationship with me like is your mother is your mother not looking for a parasocial relationship with you know a debonair kindly far-seeing prescient galaxy brain you know youtube personality bro i mean what does she do with all her spare time if she's not interested in forming parasocial relationships with youtube personalities <laughs> 40 earned your six you do viewers the old fashioned way. Luke left out the payments from Preggy year to get fake views from India to abuse views on his lame content. <laughs> Good times, man. When I, I don't do a show for like five days and then, then I come back, I feel strong. I'm invigorated. Oh my god, we've got you know Victor Davis Hanson speaking to Jesse Waters. How could I possibly resist? Okay, so some people like me prefer their virtual father, Dennis Prager, to their real father. Uh, the Dennis tells people you know, it's very important to respect your parents, have the best possible relations with your family and friends that you possibly can. But the net effect of his teachings on many people is to drive people apart. So I was bedridden in my 20s with chronic fatigue syndrome, and I spent thousands of dollars, almost all my savings. Not on getting well, but on sending Dennis Prager tapes to my friends, many of whom did not listen to them. They laughed at me. They thought I had lost my mind, and they were right. In 1989, I wrote a letter to Dennis Prager to tell him what his teachings had done for me. He wrote back, I received many letters, but few have touched me as much as yours. Get better. You are needed in the fight for good values. So I would wager that Dennis Prager has written over a thousand letters or emails that contain that sentence. I receive many letters, but few have touched me as much as yours. He is so good with those lines that make you feel amazing. So from the perspective of today, I'm not sure I would have made it through this dark time in my life, you know, bedridden, chronic fatigue syndrome for six years in my 20s, if not for Dennis's kindness and attention to me and his enrollment of me in the fight for good values. My life now had a purpose, right? Hero system is a biological necessity. So friday january 28 1994 tampa bay florida i met dennis prager for the first time next day we spoke privately for 10 minutes he said it gave him great comfort that if anything happened to him i would be there to carry on his battle for good values i was overwhelmed years later i realized you know this is a line he's used with thousands if not hundreds of people all right uh dennis says that douglas murray is his favorite english thinker so polemicists of a feather flock together. Gurus respect the game of other gurus. Those who are working a solid angle respect their fellow anglers. On the other hand, scholars aren't fans of of hacks and hackery. Dennis says that when he reads the criticism of him, it has absolutely no effect, right? It it might affect lesser, lesser mortals, but it doesn't uh, doesn't affect doesn't affect uh, Dennis but when i read so here we go 11910 so just ah uh, oh, didn't didn't queue things up right the, the more prep you do the the better the show but i didn't do it quite as much prep as i should have and you're suffering I'm saying my it to you
1: and not, uh, and I'm not alone just announcing it. If, if, when I read, and there are many people who hate my guts, you just explore the internet and you'll find it, and, and I think, I, it has no effect on me, none whatsoever, as you know, and, none, my, by right.
2: the way, none, Thank truly, you. I, I right. thought maybe it would have one percent of an effect right. on you, it doesn't,
0: yeah,
1: correct, but it does,
0: t- my father would say that all the time, that, the criticism, personal attacks just had no effect on him, and my, yeah, people around us say, "Oh, yeah, criticism just you know rolls off your father's back." But it's not true. Like if you're around Dan Prager in person, you can see that if he if he's pricked, he bleeds. Like if if he gets you know sharp, pointed criticism, it causes him pain. He, he he is not exempt from the the concerns and the fragilities and the vulnerabilities of mere mortals. I've interviewed thousands of people in my life. And one thing that struck me from doing that is everybody has considerable number of vulnerabilities. Like everybody's more, more vulnerable than I perceive them. So this idea that criticism doesn't bother him at all. In fact, he wishes he had more of it, but good faith criticism, like intellectually honest criticism, that's what he longs for. Tell me about them.
1: It, I, I, it doesn't tell me about you if you disagree with me, but if you hate me, it doesn't tell me anything about me. It tells me everything about you. I-
0: okay, so if you hate the pollution of the public discourse, you're going to hate Dennis Prager. It's not going to be the only emotion you, you have to him. You'll, you'll appreciate his humor. You'll appreciate his wisdom when he is wise. You'll appreciate the good things that he does. But you will hate him for polluting public discourse, for damaging lives, for encouraging all sorts of you know, self-destructive antisocial Behavior So it doesn't mean you're a bad person if you hate how Dennis Prager pollutes public discourse
1: I know that I aim to do good and do good there are there are very many people who have better marriages because of my male-female hour There are many happier people because of my happiness book happiness lectures and happiness hour There are many people who, who have reconciled with their parents because they heard me Okay, how many leftists who hate my guts can say that Zero. Zero. How many people are kinder because they were influenced by a leftist zero?
0: Not, on, not only, really, really, most social workers are leftists. You don't think anyone has been improved from interacting with a social worker? Most psychologists, most therapists are leftists. I would expect many doctors are on the left. Most teachers are on the left. You don't think anyone has been improved, made kinder, by having a kind teacher? I think absolute nonsense. What he was he was just saying. But let's keep it classy here guys i mean this is this is a show of radical love and inclusion right just just because a 74 75 year old man you know does a regular youtube show with you know an attractive 23 year old woman there's there's nothing inappropriate there i mean dennis Brager says he's always been faithful i have no reason to to n- not believe him so you know, let's let's keep it classy Right, yeah. May 11, Dennis says Donald Trump announced that if he is elected president, he will pardon all of the January 6th political prisoners. They are political prisoners. Right, uh, I'd say that's kind of a courty attitude towards the January 6th rioters. All right. The barometer, number three, characteristic of gurus anti establishmentarianism. It is necessary that the orthodox, the establishment, the mainstream media, the expert consensus are always wrong at least blinkered and limited that they are generally incapable of grappling with the real issues in the rare occasions when they are right they are described by the gurus as being right for reasons other than they think a guru can seldom agree with the establishment because it is crucial to their appeal that they offer unique insight so why do i call dennis brager a guru not just a political commentator because of the effect that he has on thousands and thousands of lives including my own like he for, for those who are anxious, troubled, uh, lacking something, like lacking you know, a good relationship with a father figure, he encourages a, a parasocial relationship, and he turns a lot of lives upside down, and uh, you don't get that from most political commentators because he, his effect is much more like that of a guru than that of a political commentator. So gurus don't agree with the establishment. It's crucial to their appeal that they are offering unique insight. They're giving a fresh hot take that's not available elsewhere, that's repressed or taboo. So the guru's popularity benefits if their iconoclastic views coincide with the prejudices or intuitions of their followers. Gurus are drawn to topics where there is a split between the expert consensus of public opinion, such as climate change, GMOs, vaccinations, lockdowns. The guru is merely agreeing with an expert consensus on a topic such as COVID, then there's less reason to listen to the guru, send money to the guru. Instead, you'd listen to experts. So the guru is highly motivated to undertake epistemic sabotage. This is perhaps the key problem with what Dennis Prager is doing, right? To disparage authoritative institutional sources of knowledge and expertise. So gurus use ambiguity and uncertainty with their criticisms because they often like to tell you about their qualifications and academic background. But the, the... Main traffic of gurus is in sabotaging other sources of information and wisdom. They tend to have a fractious relationship with other gurus. They may make alliances of convenience, but they're also strongly incentivized to compete with other gurus. So, our group is everyone else. The outside world is the enemy to debunked. The institutions, the experts, the establishment are all corrupt. Can't trust any authorities, mainstream media, can't trust experts. So, you try to undermine all other sources of information to make yourself much more important
2: that but how many people are angrier that's right less unho- grateful yes un- right healthier all of that
1: when your kid i mean it's it, look unfortunately uh, this is so painful for some people listening to this your kid comes home from.
0: but he's just a radio host he's got prager university it's got 50 full-time employees bro. Right? he probably the most booked public speaker in jewish life certainly in the top three he goes out giving speeches for years at $10,000, 20000 a speech. I mean, he plays a guru role in the lives of tens of thousands of people.
1: From college, woke. Are they kinder? Are they more respectful? <laughs> They're really is sad. Are they a finer human being? It is not possible to become woke and become kind. No. It is not possible. It's like becoming taller and shorter at the same time. You can't. They're mutually exclusive.
2: Well, I say that I say to people sometimes when I'm debating about religion, I say if you were on trial and you could have a jury of ten or twelve, well, how many are on juries? Twelve. 12, yeah. twelve religious people or twelve non-religious people? Who would you want? And most of them well, say that they. That's would get...
1: interesting. So they would say, well, it depends. You know, knowing that I was a leftist, I would prefer secular people. So, it, but you're thinking of just where politics had nothing to do with your crime yes. while you're charged.
2: Yes. Who would you trust more? To, yes. to well, rule I have, I, well, I have. and it's the same thing with woke people. Would you
0: rather have twelve non-woke people? So about what do I need to do to get your mother on this show, right? What do I need to talk about? Do I need to talk more about air supply? Uh, I'll, I'll stop talking about myself. Just let me know. What do I have to do today to get your mother onto this show, into this chat, blessing us with her, her presence? Okay, so anti-establishmentarianism, I give Prager a four out of five. So on the death of George Floyd, Dennis says the chances are minuscule that the knee on the side of the neck caused him to die, because Dennis knew better than those who performed the autopsy. October twenty one, twenty twenty, Prager posted to Facebook, Voter fraud, it's for real. The evidence is overwhelming that voter fraud is not an important issue in American politics. Uh March 28, twenty twelve, he says, I'm certain my school would have asked to medicate me under the same rules we have today. And I don't know if I'd be the same person I am today if I had been medicated. So Dennis feels out of step with any authority essentially but his own everywhere he goes he's unhappy with rabbis he's unhappy at home he's unhappy at school he's unhappy at university at brandeis bardine he fought with his board he's unhappy in two marriages that ended in divorce at kbc radio he struggled with the management he's in no man's land in jewish life not fitting into orthodox conservative reform judaism so feeling distinctive from everyone else is a big part of being a guru and a big part of being dennis this greatness is a burden Dennis was like Harry Potter before there was Harry Potter. So when I argue that someone like Dennis Prager engages in epistemic corruption, I'm arguing that he manipulates knowledge for his personal, professional, and monetary gain, and by so doing, he pollutes the discourse. A story Mark Shapiro told me in 2012 that uh, Dennis Prager has no influence in Orthodox Judaism. So you may well think that uh, Dennis Prager is like Jesus, right, both Came from non-prestigious communities, Nazareth and Brooklyn. Both had solid, if unspectacular Jewish educations. Both started public speaking at a young age. Jesus in the temple at age 12. Dennis in temples at age 21. Both preached a simple version of Judaism that gave greater weight to ethics and ritual. Both preached with messianic fervor and moved thousands. So Dennis Prager autographs Bibles. Both were not known for their humility. Jesus claimed to be God's son. Dennis says that his contributions won't be recognized for a millennia. Both have been were largely rejected by the Jewish leaders of their day. Both had non prestigious professions. Jesus was a carpenter, Dennis a talk show host. Both had devoted followings among the common people, the ignorant people, while the intellectuals despised them both. So Dennis calls the uh, COVID lockdown the greatest mistake in the history of humanity. So David Simon, who created The Wire, he says, Never mind the burning of the library at Alexandria, European colonialism, 1914 alliances that provoked the Great War, the Weimar left and center failing to unite against Hitler. Former U.S. Representative Joe Walsh says, I work for the same conservative media company that Dennis Prager works for, Salem. Prager is no dummy. He can't believe this. But this is what sucks about conservative media. You get rewarded for being outlandish, for enraging your audience. I did it at times, too. It's wrong. It's dishonest. Frank Lund says, galaxy brain stuff from the University of Prager. Joan Goldberg says, let's assume the lockdowns were a mistake. The biggest in human history? About the reparations on Germany after World War I, sending Lenin back to Russia, carve out for slavery in the U.S. Constitution, the fire of Alexandria, cancelling the TV show Firefly. So I just uh, finished a couple of weeks ago Dennis Prager's commentary on the book of Genesis. He notes, it's often tempting to use drama or exaggeration to make a point. Thank God Dennis never uses drama or exaggeration to make his points. May work the first time, but once the person acquires a reputation for exaggeration or melodrama, his credibility is lost. And Dennis Prager's producer, Alan Estrin, who was very kind to me during the four years I went to Stephen S. Wise Temple, he was a good friend, says about Dennis through his radio show, his writing, Now Prager You, Dennis Prager, it changes the way you live for the better, makes you a better person, a better father, a better son, a better mother, a better daughter. Name another public figure who does that. Hmm.
4: Hmm hmm hmm. Hmm hmm, hmm, hmm. hmm, hmm,
2: hmm. hmm, hmm, Full
1: or 12 woke people? Well, that's interesting, but I'll give you one that's proof. So I asked Pearl and Sam oldiner O-L-I-N-E-R, two professors at Humboldt State, Cal, Cal State Humboldt, who were uh, both sociologists, secular, totally secular people, secular Jews, and i interviewed them this is about th-
0: so your mother she sees the sight and sound of luke on her tv she puts her head in her hands my content is not aimed at her she dislikes trump she had the covid vaccine four times but, i mean your mom and i we have a lot in common like we both love to get the covid vaccine i'd i would have another one today if i could i mean i don't know where she's denying me like uh the, the disciples of jesus denied him three times before the cock (laughs) crew Lapenia says in Prager's defense I had a friend put his knee on my neck I was fine I could breathe normally I would do speeches for a thousand (laughs) dollars yeah I could take your mother for another booster shot bro Next time I'm in Canada.
1: Thirty-five years ago, because they wrote a book on altruism, which is very interesting to me. Why people do good. I'm more interested in why people do good than why they do bad. Because the, the, the why people do good is the outlier. And I asked them because they were writing about, among other things, rescuers of Jews, non-Jewish rescuers of Jews. Because if you rescued, if you hit a Jew in the Holocaust, you were you were risking your life.
0: Yeah, right. But uh, Jewish institutions, like uh, what's the main one that? Uh, honors jewish rescuers uh, yad, yad vashem in uh in israel they, they don't honor any rescuers who got paid so the danes who who i think they they rode jews out of the country you know on on rowboats right they're not honored in yad vashem because they got paid for their labors so yad vashem and in jewish institutions generally they try to make the number of you know rescuers as small as possible by setting up all these, you know, barriers to honoring any non-Jew, their contributions during the Holocaust to try to make it look as you know, heinous as possible as though, you know, the entire world had just turn their back on Jews. All right, let's uh, get back to the grommeter. Grommeter number four, grievance-mongering. A cult generally have more than a few bones to pick with the supposedly nefarious forces in the outside world. Feelings of frustration and oppression, being excluded and disregarded and deprived of one's manifest rights and recognitions, represent a potent set of negative emotions. Gurus rely on narratives of grievance pertaining to themselves and their followers to drive engagement. A worldview in which all is essentially fair and just is not one that will encourage people to search for alternative ways to view the world. Gurus engage in personal grievance narratives. They not only encourage emotional connection and sympathy for the guru, they provide a convenient explanation for why someone of their unique talents has not been well-supported or given the recognition they deserve by the outside world. They also relate to conspiratorial ideation in explaining why their own special ideas and perspectives shared with followers have not been recognized and accepted by the outside world because their ideas have been suppressed by malevolent and powerful actors for selfish reasons. So I would rate Prager a 4 out of 5 on this trait. April 26 last year, he said all the less charges against me are lies, lies. Uh, May 1 he says the left's desire is to destroy this country. Freedom is under assault in America. The Ku Klux Klan said color matters. The Nazis said color matters. Now the left says color matters. Well, color didn't matter much to the Nazis who murdered 6 million whites in the Holocaust. While simultaneously allying with brown Arabs and yellow Japanese. Dennis says the only difference between the American left and the communist totalitarians is opportunity. All leftists want to control speech and thought. Says that California is not the Soviet Union, it is moving toward the Soviet Union. Now, instead of juicing up needless hatred between people, right? Sinatinam in the Hebrew causeless, baseless hatred, Dennis could choose to use his talents to promote understanding can explain that left and right politics are evolutionary adaptations that enabled our ancestors to pass on their genes in some circumstances a left-wing approach welcoming strangers is more adaptive in other circumstances a right-wing approach of fear of strangers is more adaptive in some situations a traditional hierarchical approach to organizing community is adaptive while in other situations a more democratic approach is more adaptive organizing life in a new way is sometimes more adaptive other times Organizing life following the old time-tested ways works best. So we generally see the political left in terms of uh, support for equality and tolerance of departures from tradition. The right tends to be more supportive of authority, authority, hierarchy, and order. So the left and the right experience life differently. They each have their own strengths and weaknesses. We can learn from each other. But that's not exciting. You're not going to sell a lot of focus factor or relief factor if you say that we can learn from the left. Then it says that uh, Jewishly, it's been a lonely journey. So why why has it been a lonely journey for about the most booked speaker in Jewish life? They're getting paid 15000 20000 a pop to lecture on Torah. Because his fellow Jews are deluded about what really matters, right? I'd have a grievance too if I believed that. Then it says, my brother frequently says to me, you are a religious party of one. Why is he a party of one? other Jews just don't get it and uh, Dennis says that the brandeis Bardeen Institute board treated him miserably you know who else treated him miserably Disney when Disney took over KBC radio decided the only thing that mattered were ratings they put in a general manager who said none of this high-quality talk stuff we have got to go down in the gutter thought I was gonna be fired I wasn't prepared to do everything this woman wanted me to do it was a very tense time And he says, it cost him my TV career because I wouldn't do the stuff they asked. And this is his grievance narrative. Through the use of public opprobrium laws and lawsuits, Americans today are less free than at any time since the abolition of slavery. And Dennis says, if there is a real fascist threat to America, it comes from the left, whose appetite for state power is essentially unlimited. And remember when Dennis said that Keith Ellison should not be allowed to be sworn into Congress on on a Koran, but must use the American Bible. Dennis wrote, it is not I, it is Keith Ellison who is engaged in disuniting this country. He can still help reunite it by simply bringing both books to his ceremonial swearing-in. Had he originally announced that he would do that, I would have written a different column filled with praise of him, and there would be a lot less cursing and anger in America So those damn black Muslims like Keith Ellison who are disuniting America. All right. so... I'm using the barometer of these blokes, Christopher Cavanaugh and Matthew Brown here they're speaking with René Deresta about online ecosystems. Problem of
5: that issue too whereby when we are critical about like the various anti-vax messages or that kind of thing a lot of the times people present that we young uncritically- ingest the information from any institutional source which is not the case (laughs) i guess that i i simply uh, isn't an npc it it doesn't yeah in in any case it's a bit of a bugbear because my stance possibly the same i think as most reasonable people is be critical of all the information you consume like you know but but weigh it in terms of the relevant expertise that is associated with whoever's delivering it so i'm kind of curious about that issue though like as you just mentioned before you were embroiled in a controversy recently, primarily because Michael Schellenberger framed you as the leader of the censorship industry, right? (laughs) Um, And, you know, there were releases of messages back and forth, and there was various Substack articles targeting you and that kind of thing, and accusations that you were involved with the CIA and that this had been uncovered and so on. So I'm curious in in that respect, given that that's going to happen, but just how do you address that? You know, if you're involved in the kind of work that you are, that you will almost inevitably become part of the conspiracy nexus of the institutions trying to silence free thinkers, especially if you're looking for like programs to push back against anti-vaccine disinformation or that kind of thing. I know you've been on, Rogan, you engage with heterodox speakers, but it didn't mm-hmm. really prevent you from becoming a villain in that ecosystem. So yeah, I'm curious it, about your thoughts. F-
6: oh, well, not from, that, was, that was sort of funny. Like the... Um... What, what people say to you in the DMs is very different, of course, than what they say, you know, in public on Twitter sometimes. So I don't think it was the entire heterodox community that, uh, that, that kind of went down that particular rabbit hole. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting question. So first of all, I think um, just to point to one particular thing, the quote unquote censorship industrial complex, that was not, that was not based on anything sourced to the Twitter files. Uh, that was based on a man named Mike Benz, who was a Trump appointee who'd been a speechwriter for Ben Carson. He spent a couple months at State, and then he started calling himself the Foundation for Freedom Online. Right? So he created a website, and he started blogging. And he took our report on the 2020 election. And what we did during the 2020 election was we had analysts, a bunch of of students, who would kind of pay attention to narratives specifically related to claims about voting. Not Hunter Biden's laptop, completely out of scope, just claims about voting. And a lot of the claims about voting really became very linked, particularly by President Trump, to delegitimizing the election. So a lot of it was mail-in balloting is fraud. You know, this is fraud, that is fraud. All these allegations of fraud, completely unsubstantiated. And so we were in touch with state and local election officials. And so when we would see some of these narratives that would go viral, um, we communicated with them. Sometimes they sent them to us. Sometimes we pinged them and we said, hey, you know, what's the story here? Or, hey, this is kind of breaking out. You know, maybe you should respond. There was no collusion to take down tweets. But this man, Mike Benz, took our report and ran in a part where at the end we say, we just went and, you know, we, after the election was over, after January 6th and everything, we took the hashtags of uh, very, very highly viral things, right? Things where there had been a whole lot of activity. And we pulled down all of the tweets from Twitter historical data about them, giving us about 22 million. Mike Benz either, let's say, charitably misread that part of the methodology and said that we had censored 22 million tweets and then that we had censored every narrative that had these hashtags in it. And then in the course of doing so, we had censored billions of tweets, silencing millions of voices, targeting conservatives, et cetera, et cetera. So Benz begins to write these blog posts and he reframes himself as a censorship, i uh, sorry, as a, um, as a cybersecurity expert. I think Schellenberger calls him like the head of cybersecurity at, faith, at, at uh, State Department on Rogan. It's complete nonsense. But that is where all of those claims come from. So there is no evidence of any of that in the Twitter files. That's kind of the most remarkable thing about this entire situation. But based on that man's kind of blog posts and his sort of misreading of how we worked and what we looked at and what we did, Dellenberger really ate it up. And he just kind of regurgitated it under oath to Congress. And I was very surprised by that, I have to say, because, I thought, you know, surely I've been engaging with him one-on-one because he, he reached out in December. He wanted to know about content moderation. He didn't even know the basics, but he was already writing about it. And so I just, you know, I talked to him. I engaged with him off the record for months. But again, when, when it came right down to it, rather than reaching out to me and saying, hey, I've got this guy who I connected with who's briefing
0: so looking at uh, Pete Hegseth of uh, Fox News on the screen right now, he's like a younger version of Dennis Prager.
6: Me, for my congressional testimony, he says you censored 22 million tweets. No, no, nobody ever asked me that question. Right? You know, so it was a really remarkable kind of construct in which, um, and, and I get it, he's got a substack. He needs to make money. He needs to grow his audience. And the way that conspiracy theories work, you have to create a villain. Because I mean, I just explained it to you, and it probably sounds very convoluted, very like you know, red string on a on a on a, um, on a on a whiteboard kind of meme, right? It takes a long time to debunk point by point all of the crazy allegations in a conspiracy theory. For me, it's an order of magnitude more effort to refute the bullshit. Whereas for him, all he has to say is she censored 22 million tweets. She's the head of the censorship industrial complex, you know. And people who are not critical, haven't read my work, don't know who I am, don't know that I've advocated against takedowns for the better part of five years now, are like, oh yeah, censor, you know. <laughs> and so that's how the you know the bespoke reality works, unfortunately. And that's. Uh...
0: So this is a conversation between three sinister leftists, right? This woman's the leftist. The two hosts are leftists, right? And yet they're having a completely reasonable, thoughtful, nuanced conversation that uh, is worth listening uh, to.
6: That's how, you know, it's not. we're not surprised by it. I'm not surprised.
0: And, and the right wing is in this story are the idiots, right? There are a lot of idiotic people on the right and on the left.
6: It is a, you know, it is a response. I mean, I think, the again, the question comes back to what do you want? So <laughs> do you want elections in which... Viral lies spread and proliferate, and election officials are threatened, and people don't trust the outcome of the elections because incentivized parties are lying.
0: So is, speaking of experts getting threatened, like now meteorologists <laughs> getting threatened because people don't like uh, various political uh, legislation about climate change. So meteorologists uh, being threatened by you know, low IQ, you know, right-wing perspectives, you know, drumming up you know, hatred for experts. Now it's the meteorologists.
6: And, you know, and using their large follower accounts to manipulate their followers with claims that an election was stolen or ballots were destroyed or mules are doing God knows what. Is that the kind of information environment you want? Or is it reasonable for platforms to label some of these claims? Is it
0: Right. I would ban people for doxing on social media. I would ban people for threatening harm, particularly physical harm, threatening violence, promoting criminal behavior and, you know, promoting any behavior that's like clearly harmful. Such as drinking bleach. I'm for banning all those people.
6: ...reasonable for elected officials to counterspeak about these claims. I still maintain that the answer to that question is yes. And I still maintain that a label on counterspeech isn't censorship. And uh, really, that's, you know, the most basic argument I can make about it.
5: Well, just...
0: That, like, she just presented, you a know, very commonsensical, you know, reasonable, you know, left-wing perspective. You know, I, I thought she, she made some excellent points there. And I think her right-wing critics were not operating in good faith and uh, lacking in expertise.
5: That's an anecdotal experience that I think confirms the level that censorship has reached on this topic. For all the furore that's that around Joe Rogan and we ourselves covered in depth his episodes with Peter McCulloch and Robert Malone. And there was, like you say, a fire hose of information. So our episodes are like three hours long and we barely cover yeah. you know, one third of what they said that's obviously wrong in that. But the outcome of all those editorials, of all those articles, of all the hand-wringing was that Spotify put up a little blue tab that says this contains you know, the labels, information. Yeah. But we get it every single podcast that mentions COVID gets the exact same thing as Rogan. And, oh, yes, and the episodes where the N-word was mentioned were taken down, so there was that as well. But, but just to say that, you know, like, think of the mass amount of Substacks and discussions and podcasts over Rogan being destroyed and what was the outcome? A banner on this podcast he hasn't stopped talking about covid and he hasn't stopped promoting anti-vaccine stuff but I, I didn't want to make you opine on rogan the the thing that i did want to ask you about renee is so you know what you just outlined and this is me saying it not you that when i listened to the conversation between you barry and michael schellenberger on sam's podcast i, I enjoyed the conversation because there's a difference of opinions and it was well mm-hmm. conducted
0: so the, the major problem i think with right-wing figures you know online is that they lack expertise right they they lack depth and they don't have a particularly strong commitment to the truth.
5: And Sam had a good balance, but I couldn't help constantly getting the impression that Barry and Michael were dilettantes who have not gone busy.
0: Dilettantes, that's the word. Like Dennis Prager, uh, Mark Levin, uh, Hugh Hewitt, uh, Sean Hannity, even Tucker Carlson, much of the time. Much of the time, these guys are just purely dilettantes. You know, disparaging the work of people with genuine expertise.
5: Research on high moderation functions or even just the kind of policies that were in place or what agencies are. And that's been my constant impression with the Twitter files is people have, you know, very interesting access. You could present interesting material just from the moderation discussions that have to go on or, you know, whatever your position on the actions that they end up taking. But instead, it became this, you know, hyperbolic politicized things where everything was presented in the most sensationalized way. And I, I want to just ask you that
0: that is a pretty fair characterization of much of you know right-wing you know public punditry public discourse right back to analyzing dennis prager decoding dennis prager putting dennis prager through the gurometer all right trait five of the guru self-aggrandizement and narcissism it's impossible to be a guru without having a sense of grandiosity and an inflated idea of one's self-importance role of being a guru means cultivating praise and attention demands a certain level of charisma and charm. Dennis Prager you know, loves to have people write in and tell him how how he's affected their life. That's what he asked for on his birthday every year. Now, the trait of narcissists is a belief in one's uniqueness and that only special people can appreciate them. Right? I've only got nine viewers right now, but you are so special. I mean, you are a genuine truth seeker. Right? You're not a moron. Right? You're special to me. So... Uh, gurus tend to have a thin skin when it comes to criticism. They expect that the world should be much more recognizing of their talents than it does. Narcissism is the key personality trait of gurus. People without overconfidence and attention seeking will find the role of guru uncomfortable and they will flee from it, even if it is thrust upon them. So a normal person will flee from the role of guru. Usually only damaged people will embrace being a guru. People are not narcissistic, people with genuine expertise, people with genuine insight in a given domain will tend to find the guru spotlight an unwelcome distraction. Right? People on the spectrum of narcissism will find any attention, any regard highly satisfying. This will be their motivating factor for engaging in going way beyond whatever talents they might have to engage in the pseudo profound nonsense techniques described here. So this lack of self-awareness Common among narcissists also seems to explain why gurus such as Dennis Prager seem to believe their own baloney. Just as narcissists love themselves, they're in love with their own ideas. They tend to be incapable of seeing the degree to which they are fraudulent. So I gave Prager a three out of five. So here are some examples of Dennis Prager's self-aggrandizement. He explains why he wrote the rational Bible commentary. Somebody has to explain these biblical texts, or they will go further into oblivion. So I'm Tad skeptical that Dennis who autographs Bibles has the ability to save the Bible. Julie tells him it's revolutionized my life. Okay, I wonder if we can.
2: Well I talk about this with my I
0: wonder if I can find oh, I can't find the, the timestamp for this, but she says it's revolutionized my life. If all I did was affect you, it was worth writing, says Dennis. <laughs> He's used that line at thousands of people. Julie, when I was done reading your Bible commentary, Dennis, I went from seeing the world in a secular way to seeing the world in a religious way. And I walk down the street and I look around me, I feel more connected to life. I mean, you probably have the same experience from viewing this show. You just appreciate every day more. Dennis uh, stated, I believe that I had brought more people to belief in God, to taking the Bible seriously, to Jews embracing Judaism and to others embracing Christianity than any other living Jew or Christian. Well, here's my concern. Given the poor epistemic quality of Prager's reasoning, I wonder about the qualities of these religious conversions, right? Epistemic means how do we know what we know? So it kind of reminds me of all the Christian evangelists buzzing around my father. And when they all get together, they'd all boast about the hundreds of people they'd baptize. And this led these people to just see everybody as fodder for Christ. Uh, Dennis declared on his radio show, I've never been hurt by a friend. I have a built-in antennae for who to trust. I have perfect pitch, right? Never been hurt by a friend, right? Anyone who says they've never been hurt by a friend is clearly wrong. So Prager believes what he's saying. He is clearly deluded. Now Dennis says, I have never had a female friend, right? Friendship with the opposite sex, guys, that's just for mere mortals. For a self-described highly sexed man like Dennis Prager, it's just not on. Dennis says, I have never been envious of another human being in my life. So only mere mortals experience envy not those who transcend time and space. Dennis says, I didn't think my parents loved me when I was a kid. I didn't do much with my family. What I did was develop antibodies. I was vaccinated against emotional problems, right? So unlike mere mortals, Dennis Prager has been vaccinated against emotional problems. So where do we go to get this vaccine against emotional problems? Like, does he really believe that he's been vaccinated against emotional problems? now 2012 dennis says that's the reason i became something because my parents said at an early age you're on your own have a great life and i've had a great life and it wasn't easy so that's the reason that dennis prager became something now i would say it also helps that dennis prager cultivates courtishness that he practices epistemic sabotage and he directs a river of pseudo-profound nonsense on the radio I'd say that also helped him become something. And I also suspect he is wrong, if not lying, when he claims his parents said to him, either literally or figuratively, you're on your own, son, have a great life. I mean, can you imagine these parents saying that to a five-year-old, an eight-year-old? Ah, Dennis is not happy with the Jews because their Jewish identity is overwhelmingly ethnic. Few have gone through the soul-searching of asking, why am I a Jew? But Dennis went through this soul-searching. If I am Jewish I said I want to be Jewish because I chose to not because I was raised in it that's why I studied all these other religions I wanted to come to Judaism on my own he was not like ordinary mortals he was like Harry Potter he was special so since an early age he's been obsessed with good and evil so Prigga's obsession with good and evil only goes as far as he gets to play a starring role in this cosmic drama so answers about why people commit evil or why people do good that don't play to his vision of himself as the moral leader in this cosmic drama they don't rate with Dennis for example people with below average IQs have a below capacity for empathy and hence a below average capacity for decency but Dennis has no interest in this obvious expla- explanation for much of good and evil in the world right so got an explanation with regard to why people do good and why people do evil that gives <coughs> Dennis Prager a starring role in this cosmic drama he's all up in that you'll be glad to know that dennis prager is the last person in the world who walks around with a victim mentality it's only mere mortals feel like victims right gods do not feel like victims and dennis says i don't care about jewish culture that's why the board at brandeis Bardeen institute got angry at me they were very into jewish culture i was very into judaism so do you think that that's really why the board at Brandeis-Bardeen Institute got angry at Dennis Prager? Not for you know, any of his personal qualities, you know, for no other reason. It's just that Dennis didn't care about Jewish culture and he was just really into Judaism. So Dennis says uh, he, he left Brandeis-Bardeen in 1983 and uh, the board treated him miserably. Dennis tells Julie Hartman, at an early age, I wanted to do good. And I wanted to influence people to, to do good, right? And he says, I had this ambition that I would understand life as well as anybody who has ever lived. And one of the reasons I thought I had a chance, because I have no prejudices, right? Dennis Prigg has no prejudices, right? Mere mortals have prejudices. You know, a God like Dennis Prigg has no prejudices. But Dennis, there was no dogma that he had to meet, right everyone else has a hero system dennis prager has no hero system he gets to transcend the concerns of mere mortals like everyone else dennis prager confronts life straight on why because dennis prager doesn't have anything to prove only mere mortals have anything to prove do you think gods have anything to prove but dennis nothing matters except what is true right he's got no personal prejudices he's got no emotional problems he's got no agenda I never read anything with an agenda other than, is it true and will it make a good world? That's it, all right. Everyone else has blinders on, but not Dennis Prager. I wasn't burdened by psychological problems in my thought, such as anger at men or anger at women. So everyone else has psychological problems, but Dennis Prager got the vaccine in psychological problems very early on in life, so Dennis has no psychological problems. You'll be glad to know, Dennis announces, I have the training of a rabbi, but I never sought rabbinic ordination. All right, highly dubious claim. Dennis says, last time I felt physically unsafe, I was in my early 30s. So only mere mortals feel physically unsafe. Dennis has gone 40 years of his life without once feeling unsafe. April 20, 2011, Dennis says, it took until the Reagan administration to realize that if I didn't fight, I was going to lose this country. Wow. So if Dennis Prager didn't fight, America was going to be lost only one man can save us Dennis Prager so when the OJ Simpson verdict was announced Dennis said to his teenage son David please forgive me I am handing over to you a worse America than my father handed over to me so what kind of man apologizes for not being able to change the direction of a country of 300 million people Laponius, please forgive me the US Supreme Court has made gay marriage the rule of the the land i am i'm handing over to you laponius a much worse north america than was handed to me forgive me laponius for not defeating the u.s supreme court when it came to gay marriage forgive me laponius for allowing america to invade afghanistan in 2001 and iraq in 2003 please forgive me forgive me for America electing George W Bush twice I wasn't able to stop that please please forgive me please forgive me for Obamacare I wasn't able to stop it Reagan changed me with one sentence government is not the solution it's the problem that's what made me a Republican in the 20th century 100 million civilians were murdered who murdered them in every case but Rwanda big government All right, so sometimes Government is the solution, sometimes government's the problem, sometimes it's a bit of both. And if there wasn't government around, we'd live in a state of nature which would likely be nasty, brutish, and short. So for plenty of problems such as crime, pollution, and roads, most countries have found that government is the best solution to some things. How else would you enforce standards? Like what countries that do not have government-provided police parks and passports should America emulate? So, David Margolis profiles Dennis Prager in the Jewish Journal in 1992. Uncomfortable with his lack of academic credentials, he's lectured hundreds of times to American audiences about Soviet Jewry. That wasn't the only subject in which he claimed expertise. Leapt onto the Jewish lecture circuit with talks on why Jewish youth was alienated from Jewish life. All right, back to the grammar. Number six point Cassandra complex. Gurus like to claim prescience among their many talents. Their heightened insight gives them a superior ability to predict the future, and they will enjoy dwelling on those instances at which they made a purportedly correct prediction. They will not mention or acknowledge the times when they got it wrong. So I remember when Dennis Prager proclaimed that Bob Doe would never win the Republican nomination for presidency because he said something skeptical about Israel circa so 1990. That was obviously wrong. all right narrative of grievance plays a big role in being a guru a heightened sense of how the world is not right or to be fixed and that they are the persons to do it is a common feature of gurus so dennis prager published a column could it happen here it is happening here we're becoming nazi germany guys unfortunately the broader public has failed to recognize the guru's genius has failed to heed their advice and thus the world lurches from calamity to calamity because you guys aren't listening to dennis prager so gurus position themselves as a Cassandra. They see the future. They warn of calamities. It will be avoided if only they are heeded. And then if you're a follower, you get a positive role because you get to support, defend, and promote the guru. And by so doing, you can make the world a better place. So I would give Dennis Prager a 5 out of 5 on this scale. Back to decoding the gurus.
5: The degree to which it's frustrating or productive, like you do engage, you know, with the heterodox sphere, and I, I think that's good. There are discussions on there that are not kind of hyperbolic and, and partisan. I think people have genuine questions as well. But how do you deal with that fact that, like, you know, there's so much heat and fury around the topic and so much strong opinion, but coupled with a lack of? of research. That's a bit that I would find personally hard to deal with. And I, I have had my run-ins with Sam Harris on a similar thing where he talked about the Christchurch shooter manifesto in some depth on several podcasts. He never read the manifesto. This is a particular bugbear of mine because I've published research about manifesto analysis. But yeah, so that, that like, lack of research, it just really grates on my soul. And I'm sorry to like project <laughs> it onto you, but I'm just curious because you deal with it much more directly.
2: I think the only, you know, I
6: don't, I really like, first of all, I like arguing, but I also really like engaging with people that I have disagreements with. I've, I've always felt like, you know, I, I had fun on the same.
0: Yeah, Putin and Zelensky definitely need to sit down with Dennis Prager so they can sort out their disagreements. Right, so Prager's Cassandra complex. Joe Biden and the Democrats, Prager says, why do these people want to destroy the economy? So in school at the Yeshiva Flatbush, right, and before that, Prager's classmates liked Dennis, right? They always elected him class president. They were amused by his big mouth, but it never occurred to them that he was a good source for truth or for morality so in the more than 50 years since dennis prager graduated high school none of his classmates to the best of my knowledge have changed their opinion about dennis prager just being a big mouth uh, uh, uh oh greatest of all freedoms guys that of speech is disappearing in america says dennis our justice department is becoming what the soviet ministry of just as soviet security agencies and soviet judges were it's just becoming tools of the ruling party so we got a nationally syndicated radio host telling his listeners they live in a country that's increasingly like nazi germany i would say that's not a good way of creating an appropriate level of safety in listeners And around 1997 i realized that listening to dennis prager every day it consistently filled me with rage even though i largely agreed with dennis prager and even though he's ostensibly you know all about promoting happiness and goodness Instead, it seems like the man is frequently just pouring poison into the American soul. Enraging people is a great way of getting listeners, but it makes them less happy and less effective in life. You know, Outside of a few murder zones, life in the United States, for Dennis Brager listeners, is generally safe and free compared to other countries on this earth. So inculcating gratitude might be a wiser and more moral path for a man intent on doing good. There are situations in life where rage is a more adaptive approach than gratitude, such as when you are fighting for your life in a dark alley. But these examples are few and far between. So, by claiming he sees America on the road to Nazi Germany, Dennis Prager gets to place himself at the very center of things. He feels confident that there's nothing more pressing for you to consider than his ideas. Dennis says the USA Today is a rag sheet on the level of Pravda, right? It's not just a flawed publication, it doesn't just have some mistaken op eds. It's Pravda, guys. If you supported the March 30th Trump indictment, you are not on the side of truth of concern for america so Prager must have learned early in his life how to use this tremendous power of drama to command attention i wonder who he copied where did he get this from we are becoming like the soviet union we sold our soul in the early 20th century when they said the government should educate our children guys public schools right that's selling our soul Uh uh-oh lgbtq pride is totalitarian right gay pride parades clearly another auschwitz in the prager perspective Uh america has become the greatest exporter of destructive ideas young americans voted to ruin their lives Uh, just reading titles from his recent columns why my friends and i had more wisdom when we were 12 and college students and faculty have today is canada becoming north america's cuba art bell you live in canada is canada becoming north america's cuba COVID-19, and the failure of America's major religions. A brief guide to leftist destruction. The left is evil, and liberals keep voting for them. Right, point number seven in the barometer: Revolutionary theories. Right, if galaxy-brainedness refers to a, a breadth of knowledge, ability to forge connections between disparate topics, then their professed development of revolutionary theories displays the depth of their knowledge. Connected with their narcissism and worthiness of being a guru, They are greatly attracted to claiming that they have developed game-changing and paradigm-shifting intellectual products. This is the credential and the resume of the guru, right? Just as the public were keen to seek out Albert Einstein's opinions on all matter of topics unconnected with physics, people also find it natural that one who has accomplished something great in one area should be qualified to offer advice on all sorts of topics. Now, genuinely revolutionary theories such as general relativity, a few and far between, So the guru is compelled to manufacture constantly new revolutionary theories i would give prager a three out of five on this score so he came up with the great line the bigger the government the smaller the citizen all right even though there's no evidence for it it uh sounds good and then it says i am not looking for great lines to make a better living and get a bigger audience i'm looking for important points to touch people's lives Like Deepak Chopra, Dave Rubin, and Reverend Sun Young Moon, and Gwyneth Paltrow, and Oprah, Uh, I'm sure that Pregid does touch many lives. He says many things that sound profound. In the final analysis, though, his most crowd-pleasing points are epistemic sabotage. Right. So, what the hell do I mean by epistemic sabotage? Right. That's the production of ersatz wisdom. It's a corrupt epistemics that creates the appearance of useful knowledge but has none of the substance. So the guru highly motivated to undertake epistemic sabotage to disparage authoritative and institutional sources of knowledge. He tends to disdain academic studies, but when he finds ones that support his point of view, he embraces them like truth bombs against the left and frequently doesn't read very carefully. To push his personal ideological agenda, Dennis Prager tends to treat truth like it used tampon. Point number eight... On the Garometer, Pseudo-Profound BS, right, this is their core business, this is their stock-in-trade, they are most comfortable in the role of armchair opinionator. The wise man graciously offering their advice to eager seekers of wisdom. So, revolutionary theories and galaxy brainness describe the content of their discourse. Pseudo-Profound BS describes the form of their discourse. It has language that is cognitively easy to process, superficially appears to be profound, Upon analysis turns out to be trite, meaningless, contradictory, or tautological. So, Dennis and uh, Jordan Peterson are pretty good it's with The idea this. that you
4: have to journey to the darkest abyss to free the spirit of your father. But there's a reason for it, and it has to do with the tragic view of life, which is that you can't discover what you're capable of being or withstanding, and, and those are the same things, without If you hide away from any of the things about life that are terrible but true and 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 the reason you can't discover who you are without doing that is that only necessity will force that out of you and and i mean that i mean that from the perspective of learning if you go work in a palliative care ward you'll learn to deal with death you'll learn the the psychological strategies necessary the, the the steps you'll become more informed but it's deeper than that even we know now from a biological perspective that if you put yourself in new situations in new and challenging situations that new genes turn on in your nervous system and code for new proteins that produce new neurological structures. And so you can't even be what you are fully biologically unless you expose yourself to everything that you can expose yourself to as you journey through life.
0: Wow, what a galaxy brain. Revolutionary theories just pour from this, man. Okay, so I'd give Prager a three out of five. There are some examples from his book, Think a Second Time. Nothing in the history of the human race has caused more evil than the belief in the importance of blood. Right, So the belief in the importance of blood is just the flip side of uh, genetic altruism. People prefer you know, those they are related to. American values have universal applicability and they are eminently exportable. Awesome. So someone like myself would see American values or Japanese values or Canadian values or Russian values or Australian values as the product of a particular people surviving and transmitting their genes in a particular environment. Every child is a blank slate, says Dennis. Now Dennis Prager advocates the proposition nation, a country that's primarily united by its shared beliefs, rather than being a particular people. He advocates the proposition family, parents, and children who are united by their shared beliefs. says, as a father, my purpose is not to pass on my seed, but to pass on my values. Dennis Prager does not believe the family is a big deal when compared to the importance of the individual. So. Dennis Prager said, traditional life in Europe became, you are defined by your family, but that's not the way it ought to be. You are defined by you, not by your family. People think family is a big deal. It's not. It's a big deal. Who are you? So Prager views that we are primarily individuals rather than members of families, extended families, tribes, and nations. This is a very modern and liberal perspective. It's the opposite perspective of a great intellectual like John J. Mearsheimer In his great 2018 book, The Great Delusion, Liberal Dreams and International Realities, so there John Mishimer wrote, My view is that we are profoundly social beings from the start to the finish of our lives and that individualism is of secondary importance. Liberalism downplays the social nature of human beings to the point of almost ignoring it, treating people as atomistic actors. Political liberalism is an ideology that is individualistic at its core, assigns great importance to the concept of inalienable rights. This concern for rights is the basis of liberalism's universalism. Everyone on the planet has the same inherent rights. This is what motivates liberal states to pursue ambitious foreign policies like invading Afghanistan and Iraq. So public and scholarly discourse about liberalism since World War II has placed enormous emphasis on human rights. Right? Human rights have defined the most elevated aspirations of social movements and political entities. They evoke hope, provoke aps- action. Now, From a traditional perspective from my perspective mishima's perspective humans do not operate as lone wolves humans are born into families into tribes into social groups into societies that then shape their identities well before they can assert their individualism individuals usually develop strong attachments to their group they frequently willing to make great sacrifices for their family humans are tribal at their core The main reason for our social nature is that the best way for a person to survive is to be embedded in a family, a society, a community, a tribe, and to cooperate with fellow members rather than act alone. Remember, I talked about that Netflix uh, series on uh, apes in, in Africa, and when the apes got separated from the group, they would often be attacked and killed by other apes. Safest place is life within the tribe despite its elevated ranking, reason is the least important of the ways that we determine our preferences. It's less important than socialization. Humans have a long childhood in which they are protected and nurtured by their families, ideally, and their surrounding society. And so they are exposed to intense socialization. They're only beginning to develop their critical faculties. They're not equipped to think for themselves. By the time an individual reaches the point where his reasoning skills are developed, such as age 25, his family and his society, his community, his religion have already imposed an enormous value infusion on him. So the individual is born with innate sentiments. They're not born a blank slate. So people have very limited choice in formulating a moral code because so much of their thinking about right and wrong comes from inborn attitudes and socialization. So Dennis Prager's whole agenda is reworking people's moral code, but reality is people have very limited choice in formulating their moral code. So if John Mearsheimer is right and I believe he is. Then Dennis Prager is just another guru spouting pseudo-profound nonsense. And so this idea that a country or a family should primarily be held together on the grounds of ideology—that right, we should love our parents or our siblings or our children because we agree with their views on the constitution—that's ridiculous. And what uh, best predicts, you know, lifetime outcomes? Right, genetics. Right, nature, not nurture, is the main determinant of how much money people make, how well people perform at school, or at university. Uh, Dennis says, I don't know what I've learned morally that I didn't know in fifth grade. I can't think of a single moral insight. So he hasn't learned anything morally since fifth grade. Dennis says, the word for servant, the word for slave is the same in the Torah, which is why Jews don't like to be servants because they think it is slavery. Did you ever meet a Jewish waiter? Jews don't wait. Jews don't want to serve anybody. That's ridiculous, right? If you're going to make money, you're going to have to serve people. Uh, Dennis realized early on that his own instincts are simply identical to God's Torah, right? Dennis's instincts and God's instincts are identical. And I blow my mind, says Dennis. Right? My natural mode of thinking was the Torah's mode of thinking, right? Dennis was just aligned with with God, right? His way of thinking was the same as the, the Torah's way of thinking, right? That That's... That's his discourse, man. C- can you imagine what that—that's like, to—to—to to, to realize that you and God are on the same wavelength, that your thinking and God's thinking are just mesh I don't remember when, but it was early on. Amazing.
1: I said to myself, "Wow, wow, wow." You, your instincts are identical to the Torah's. Wow, and it blew my
0: mind. And I remember, you know, God wrote the Torah. So when Dennis says his instincts are identical to the Torah, saying that his instincts are identical to God's instincts, can you imagine what a revelation that would be, as a as a a lad to realize that you and God are have the same instincts?
1: My natural mode of thinking was the Torah's mode of thinking. Wow, and. That's why I feel such a moral obligation to get it in print.
0: Thank you, Dennis. Because
1: if you take those five books seriously, you will think morally clearly. You will think clearly about everything. And
2: you'll be so much happier.
1: Yeah, well, you could testify
2: Oh, my that. God. I mean, your life will – society will run better. Your life will run better. Personally, you will feel enriched and fulfilled and happier. It's – I really think, and I know it sounds sort of extreme or perhaps – um like I'm hyperbolizing to say it. I think it's the answer to everything.
1: Everything. Oh, I know it's the answer it to is. everything. That's why it's frustrating everything. that it isn't out there more. I know. As much as it's out there, the mo- my biggest frustration is it's not out there more.
0: This is- He's talking about his own Torah teachings because his instincts are identical with the Torah's. Like his instincts then are identical with the author of the Torah, who is God, Dennis Prager's perspective. His instincts are identical with God's. He has walked through his life with the identical instincts as the creator and sustainer of the universe.
1: This is the answer to evil or even unhappiness. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I said this, I, I know I said the first part on our podcast, but I said the second part in the You video I just filmed, and I think it's worth mentioning here. You know that I think it's incredibly creepy that people my age fight against things that most of them have never seen before. Racism, climate change, oppression, oppression you know, uh, what's, what are their words? Can
0: you imagine what it's like to, to be aligned with the, the master of the universe, have the same instincts as the Torah? Um,
2: homophobia, transphobia, etc. But on the flip side of that, they also, the things that they disparage, they have never tried out before.
0: So it's sad that more people you know don't get to tap in to Dennis Prager's mode of thinking, which is identical with God's mode of thinking. Uh, this is the answer to everything guys Dennis Prager's teachings. so there are over a million Jews in the world you know who base their lives on Torah you know I don't think anyone seriously could look at them and say, "Oh, these guys have the answer to everything I mean I don't think anyone could look at you know, Torah Jews and even say "Oh." These Jews clearly have the answer to evil and unhappiness, right they have an answer right they they, they have you know many good things going on, but you're not going to look at Orthodox Jews and say, "Oh these guys have the answer to everything to evil unhappiness because they have Torah uh Dennis says I don't remember meeting cruel religious Jews and uh, Dennis says it is our task to figure out what is eternal in the Torah." without just choosing what we are comfortable with. then it says, tribalism is racism. Tribalism is a curse for modernity. I don't like any ethnic neighborhood. I don't think it's the American ideal. If you see another person, you should see another one of God's children. You should not see white or black, right? It's a very dangerous idea that race and culture are identical. Race is race, culture is culture. Either, guys, we believe we are all God's children and character matters more than skin color, or we don't. Racism, that people of a certain skin color are inherently different. is not only evil, guys, it's moronic. To divide people by pigmentation, genitals, and money is wrong. We should divide people only by good and bad. And Dennis says that the spread of Christianity is the best hope for Africa. Point number nine from the Garometer, conspiracy mongering. To gain real insights, real specialized knowledge that nobody else can see, that takes hard work even a lifetime of study. That's not nearly enough for a guru who needs a steady supply of fresh original content to supply to their followers and justify their status. To be a guru, they must set themselves up not only as uniquely insightful, but to be above and apart from all orthodoxies, including established political and ideological groups. They're encouraged to go beyond standard heterodoxy, contrarianism, and skepticism into the realm of conspiratorial ideation. The expert consensus, by definition, tends to supply the most reasonable and evidence-based perspectives based on current information. The guru is in position of needing to provide a strongly contrasting perspective and to supply the arguments that back up their bold claims in a compelling way. This leads them inexorably down the path of bespoke, that means individualized conspiracy mongering, an alternative view of events that authoritative sources can't tell you about, won't tell you about. So conspiracy theories require a suppressive network to explain away their lack of evidential support, why almost nobody is willing to accept these theories. So gurus are subject to this dilemma. They'll often need recourse to some conspiracy. With their conspiracy theories, their reasoning will become intricate but subject to massive overreach, and they will tend to disregard simpler or more conventional alternative explanations. I'd uh, give Prager a 3 out of 5. There. There. That issue
7: policy, of course, included NATO expansion, EU expansion, and turning Ukraine into a pro-Western liberal democracy. Those three policies packaged together were all designed again to make Ukraine a Western bulwark on Russia's borders. The Russians made it unequivocally clear from 2008 forward that this was unacceptable and that it was not going to happen, and they made it clear that they would destroy Ukraine as a functioning society before they would let it happen. That's the first layer of the existential threat. The second layer of the existential threat comes into play after the war starts. Once the war starts, the United States has to step.
0: So, according to John Mearsheimer, it's, it's obvious that Russia is going to win. They're going to take, you know, whatever parts of Ukraine they want, those parts that are heavily Russian, and those people who are pro-Ukrainian will leave those areas and the, those Russians in Ukraine will move to Russia-controlled territory. Uh, John Mearsheimer says that America's arming of Ukraine is a far, far more colossal blunder even than invading Iraq in
7: 2003. ...what its goals are vis-a-vis Russia. And we have made it clear that our goal is to defeat the Russian military in Ukraine, to wreck its economy, and to, in effect, knock it out of the ranks of the great powers. There's also all sorts of rhetoric coming from the West and people in the administration, right, that make the argument that we should go beyond that and that we should pursue regime change then we should put putin on trial and there's
0: yeah guys if you if you go against dennis prager you're you're essentially going against god I mean, you don't want to go against god do you i mean that'd be crazy you want to go up against the the master of the universe crazy
7: okay i argued starting in 2001 in print that we would be in the mess that we're in now today but whenever I talked about it, including in China, I would always say to people, this is based on my theory of how the world works. My theory is far from perfect. And I, I estimate that my theory is right 75% of the time and wrong 25% of the time.
0: Because I... Okay, so much more nuance that you get from a real thinker, you know, a serious intellectual than you get from someone like Dennis Prager.
7: I love going to China and I love dealing with the Chinese. I used to say, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope I'm wrong that China can rise peacefully. But my theory says that's not true. But again, theories are not perfect. So, with regard to the discussion tonight, I may be wrong, okay? And it may be the case in two years, you'll invite me back. I'll have egg all over my face, and we'll discuss why I was wrong. But all I will say is I actually can't see why I'm going to be wrong. There are cases, you know, I deal with from time to time where, you know, I'm not too sure that I'm going to be proved right. In, in fact, China's one of them. I, I was not 100% certain. But on this one, I think we, cr- we committed a colossal blunder. And I just find it hard to see how we figure out how to get out of this mess. It just looks like it goes on and on for as far as the eye you can see. You were speak. saying earlier that you thought it was a worse mistake than uh, us Iraq. Oh, yeah. Much, much worse mistake than invading Iraq. I mean, you know, I, I have a whole section. I wrote the speech out, and I have a whole section on the consequences, right? And when you start thinking about it, the consequences just for European-Russian relations... Moving forward, you know, talk about Nord Stream and what are the consequences of that. The Russians are going to be interfering in European politics. They're going to be looking for cleavages in European politics and trying to exploit them. The Russians are going to be looking for cleavages in the transatlantic relationship and trying to exploit those cleavages. We are going to be going to great lengths to undermine Russia economically and politically. Uh, They're going to be trying to wreck Ukraine. We're going to be trying to save Ukraine. Where does this end? Uh, As I said before, I think we'll all be dead, uh, and it'll still be going on. The Chinese are not going to be the solution to, to peace. No, no, no. Okay. I just want, can I just say a word about that? That was a question. You know, I was on Indian TV not too long ago, and the Indian commentator um, was saying to me, "Is there a role here for India?" And you know, he thought India could do something because India is quite friendly with the Russians and with the Americans. Da da da. And now you hear the Chinese being trumpeted as a possible ASI uh, de machina Right. But the problem is, there's no deal. Right. Whether it's the Chinese, the Indians, or somebody comes in from outer space, or they put John Henry on it. The- What's the deal you're going to work out? How are you going to solve the territorial problem? How are you going to solve the issue of neutrality? Uh, unless you're a magician, I just don't think it's doable. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. But John, this was terrific. We were way over our time. but uh...
0: Yeah, John J Mir Shimer, speaking there just a few days ago, five days ago, about uh, what's going on in Ukraine. He expects it will be a mess for years and years and years to come. So... With regard to Prager's conspiracy mongering, you got Rolling Stone, November 23, 2021. Stennis Prager, conservative media's biggest COVID jackass. And then point number 10 on the Gorometer, Profiteering gurus desire respect and admiration above all else. You also tend to feel that more worldly and tangible recognition of their talents is appropriate. So gurus are surprisingly willing to undertake activities such as shelling health supplements that would otherwise be a little surprising in an intellectual of their caliber. So Dennis, uh, always you know, telling
1: the truth to the best of my human ability.
0: It's all about telling the truth, the best of his human ability. Right? It's not like there's vulgar people.
1: Oh, I I, lo- I I have the same commitment to honesty. Yes. I, I was, I, I, Tangent number 13. Oh, this is a total tangent. I was was actually mentioning during my radio show that I'm so committed to always telling the truth to the best of my human ability. When I receive scripts from sponsors, which I Mm -hmm. have all of my life, basically, if there's something in there that isn't true, and there almost always is, I'll give one example, I, I omit it. So for example, almost every script that I have to read says, so you contact my friends, friends. at uh, Billy and Jerry do pl- Plumbing, and I, but if they're not my friends, I don't say it. I have, I have learned from you hugely in that
2: regard. With the adver- I mean, in so many yes. other ways, but with Another regard to type, ad- right. advertising and omitting things that are not I always get a true. kick out
1: of that. By the way, tangent again, this is a fun one. So not only do I not say it because it's not honest, I'm not sure it's effective. Right. Because if I say contact my friends. Yes, it's and, a nepotism. The, well, well not, ne- not only that. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was 8 seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel You swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately.
0: Wow. Ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, guys. Wow.
1: ...sharpen focus. Wow. Concentrate longer. And strengthen recall. Wow. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack.
0: Wow. These gels are physician-formulated. Just blowing my mind here guys amazing
1: tear off the top shoot it down or mix it in water
0: do you want to reach your potential you want to be rich beyond your wildest dreams right do you want focus and recall you want the vegan essentials do you want a immune super boost how about getting more rem sleep guys healthy cell this is how you too can reach your potential
1: over a thousand reviews with an average star rating over four point five prove
0: wow now you can buy those reviews, but I'm sure that's not what's going on here
1: if it works
0: proves supercharge it works. your yeah a thousand a thousand reviews over four point five god four point that proves it works like who needs doctors and like corrupt organizations like the american medical association uh i mean when you can find a 1,000 reviews with an average score of 4.5? I mean, where do I put in Prager?
1: Or brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com. Use the limited time code Prager, P-R-A-G-E-R, for 20% off wow. your first order. Risk-free. Love it. Risk-free. Or your money back guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code Prager. HealthyCell.com, code Prager.
2: Wow. Okay, back to contentment. And- well, Charge your brain and see the
1: difference. Go to That's HealthyCell.com. Supercharge over a thousand your brain. 1,000 reviews with an Preach average star rating over 4.5. Prove it works. Supercharge your brain
0: and see the d- Supercharge your brain, guys. It's physician formulated. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Please.
1: Difference. Go to HealthyCell.com. Use the limited time code Prager.
0: Supercharge, guys. Supercharge right now. Bye-bye.